You know, I've been doing this podcast for over a year now. Over a year. And um, even before I started the podcast all the way back in, I think, of June 2019. Late June. It was like, I think, June 26, 2019 that I started my first podcast episode. People were already talking about Dak Prescott. People were saying, it's Carson Wentz. He's better. The 2018 season where the Dallas Cowboys went 10-6 and six was, a, uh, was a fluke. Dak Prescott, you can't give him $30 million. And then they said this year, well, you can't give Dak Prescott $35 million. And next year, they're probably going to say some more shit about how you can't pay him. They're probably going to say, you know, once again, oh, you know, Dak isn't an elite level quarterback. Dak isn't a great level quarterback. Dak isn't good. I already saw people run that narrative yesterday and today. But for me, I'm done. I'm retired. I'm I'm putting down my my uh, my M16. I'm done going to war for Dak Prescott because he's won. He's won. There, if you if you think that Dak Prescott isn't a top tier quarterback in the NFL, if you don't think that he is one of the best NFL quarterbacks or quarterbacks in the NFL, then you obviously are either lying or you have no idea how to evaluate. NFL quarterbacks. It's obvious at this point. So before I get started with this episode, and I'll go into why that's the case and all that good stuff in the podcast, Um, but before I get started, I'm going to play a song like I always do, a song that's going to represent probably Dak's feelings after that football game and my feelings as well after that football game, and just, I mean, the feeling of relief, a sigh of relief, a brush of fresh, fresh air. The Cowboys, coaches, coordinators, they have a lot of work to do, but they know that they have their guy. Ladies and gentlemen, I am 24. This is my podcast, 24's podcast, the best video gaming and sports podcast on the entire internet. Probably the best episode or one of the best episodes that we got coming up this week. We're going to be talking about a lot of different stuff. I'll get into it in a couple of minutes. But first, let me play you the song, ladies and gentlemen, Logic. This right here for anyone who ride with me Heard me laugh, watch me cry, did time with me In the game, not just on the sideline with me I'm a sinner, I'll admit it, but I got God with me Been in hell and back twice just to feel the burn If your ass don't fall down, then you'll never learn I just want to be the best that I can be I just want to be me, even if it's not naive I thought acceptance from others, it would set me free But it didn't know, oh no, it never did No matter what I said, no matter what I give Sometimes people make me question if I want to live We call that a dark day, such a dark day But I know tomorrow gonna come, it gonna come my way And I know in my heart it's gonna be a better day It's gonna be a better day That's why I came here to say, amen Amen Great, great, great song by Logic. By the way, I got my hard copy of his final album. I'm a, I'm one of those people that, you know, collects CDs and DVDs and movies and Blu-rays and stuff like that. I got his album, his final album, No Pressure, today. Technically, it was actually yesterday in the mail. It's a pink CD. It's not a, like a Mac keyboard or a, a, a Kai beat pad. I don't know. Great podcast for you today. We're not only going to talk about Dak Prescott. We're going to talk about Carson Wentz and, yes, Sam Darnold as well. We're going to talk about their deficiencies. We're going to talk about how they aren't necessarily living up to expectations. We're also going to recap the weekend. 
Going to do the weekend roundup, weekend recap, whatever I call it. Going to talk about two new entries into the made men. The group of quarterbacks that I have assembled to be my hit men. Hit men. And much, much more. Ladies and gentlemen, got a good podcast coming up for you today. Right here on 24's Podcast. Feels weird to do like two intros, but I was like, this is a special occasion. So, ladies and gentlemen, let me, um, we're going to be going through a lot of different clips today, and I also have to pee already because I, I drank this, um, this fantastic energy drink, um, the Monster Juice Line. Holy shit, there's a lot of sugar in it. That's why I love this stuff. It has 46 grams of sugar in one can. I'm like, man, why do I love this stuff? And it's like it has 46 grams of sugar. That's 76% the daily value, by the way. Man, why do I love this monster energy drink? All right, now I got to stop drinking it. And it was like as soon as I said, like, wow, I, I, I love this stuff. And it's like, oh, that's why. So anyways, um, I got to pee because energy drinks run through me like a hot knife runs through warm butter. So I'm going to have to pee sometime during this podcast. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to play a lot of clips today. It's going to be a lot of the... Um, you know, a lot of clips of people talking trash about Dak and, you know, and me rebuking them and kind of just being like, well, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't have said that. But more importantly, it's going to be addressing some of the facts and the um, the information that's been going on about Dak Prescott. So cool, cool. We're probably going to spend like 30 to 40 minutes of this because, and a lot of people, they ask me, 24, why do you sometimes spend so much time on certain things? Like I spent about an hour and a half in one podcast episode talking about, I think, 20 minutes of, um, of footage from uh, the, the Cowboys show, The Break, that's what it's called. And people ask me, 24, why did you spend an hour and a half talking about it? And it's because it takes a lot longer to break something down intelligently and kind of build it back up than it is to say some dumbass shit on the internet. So I apologize if this is going to be, you know, a long-winded response and stuff like that, but it's like, I mean, my God, like, the, there is so much dumbass shit that I had to see for the last couple of weeks. Um, by the way, Nuggets and Lakers are going on right now. What's it? Is it the pregame or is it the actual, like, the actual game? I think, I thought it came on in, like, an hour. Yeah, it does. It comes on at 9. It doesn't come on at, like, 8. I was like, didn't it come on at 9? Yeah, it does. So... <clears throat> Let me go in. Let me say this. Um, you're probably already aware of the. Uh, let me let me go to my notes here. You're probably already aware of the statistic that everybody is talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, the um, the Ilias, the Ilias. It's E L I A S. It's that site. The Ilias stat. The report that said um, that said um, 440 teams had essentially won when they had had 39 39 um 39 points and zero interceptions in the last 100 years essentially of the NFL since 1993 or not 1993 excuse me 1933 so over 100 years or not over but almost 100 years of football 
and in that 100 years there was only one team that overcame such a huge deficit and that was on Sunday the Dallas Cowboys but I feel like a lot of things get lost in traffic and in translation when it comes to this type of stuff um, which is why it just it makes this win so much more improbable and impossible there's so many things that happened I feel like some people just boil it down to, you know, a really, really bad uh, special teams play, and I put that in air quotes because I'll break it down in a couple of minutes. But a lot of people just say, oh, yeah, it was a bad bad decision by the Atlanta Falcons onside kick or uh, onside or, or special teams, excuse me. It was a bad decision, right? That's all they boil it down to. Do you know how many players for the Cowboys were out that game? Are you aware of how many players were out during that specific football game? It was, and I have both the amount of players and the list of players right here. Where's my pen? Here it is. So it is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players. There's another three players or so that I think were on IR that I'm missing. But um, all of those players, by the way, are... One is, two are like depth pieces, but the other six starters, maybe three were depth pieces, so the other five were starters for you. The names included Tyron Smith, Leo Collins, Leighton Vanderess, Sean Lee, Blake Jarwin, Anthony Brown, Cam Irving, and Vintel Bryant. The tackles... All three of them, by the way, being the most important names in the sense of Cam Irving would have been your backup and your swing tackle. Lael Collins being one of the best right tackles in the league. And by, let me be clear on this, by one of the best right tackles in the league, I think Pro Football Focused had him ranked as the best right tackle in the NFL last season. Tyron Smith, Hall of Famer, essentially top two, top three left tackles in the league. Everybody constantly says, well, his play is falling off. Who's better than he is at tackle? I'm going to say that they were out, essentially. They um, they didn't have, excuse me, uh, essentially the best left tackle and the best right tackle, and they didn't have their starting middle linebacker, and they didn't have their starting um, uh, slot corner, which, by the way, Jordan Lewis, Lewis, excuse me, the guy that replaced Anthony Brown, he got slashed up in that football game. Blake Jarwin, their starting tight end. He's out for the entire season with an ACL injury. He tore his ACL. He's out for the entire season. And the significance of that is Dalton Schultz, who came in. We're going to talk about him in a little bit. He had a fantastic game. All of this makes this... And by the way, they they had five turnovers, essentially. They had three fumbles, and then the two really, really bad fake punts... That essentially equated to five turnovers. So Dallas had to overcome five turnovers on top of missing uh, essentially five of their starters on offense and defense combined, obviously. And um, just just uh, the Atlanta Falcons' supremely talented offense with Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, and Julio Jones, obviously. And, obviously, uh, and also Hayden Hurst and Todd Gurley as well. All while... By the way, let me also talk about the replacements because as much as I talked about who was out at the left and right tackle, let me talk about the replacements. Brandon Knight, I think, is a second-year undrafted free agent who I think this is his first game ever starting 
for the Cowboys. Let me look him up. Let me just make sure I'm not wrong on that. I'm pretty sure he got drafted by the Cowboys or technically signed by the Cowboys. Not sure. Yeah, this is, I think, his first or his second year. So you have Brandon Knight, and then you have Brandon Steele. A lot of Brandons on the football team. Brandon Steele. Undrafted free agent rookie. And by rookie, I mean this is his first year playing. Brandon Knight was an undrafted free agent last year. Only game that he started. That last Sunday. Brandon Steele, this is his first year in the NFL. And if you're not on the up and up, if you're not aware of what an undrafted free agent is, is that um, you did not get drafted, and because of that, you're just a undrafted free agent, which means that anyone can sign you. So in the seven rounds, you didn't even get picked. So that's who we're starting at left and right tackle. Dudes that didn't even get drafted. Just so we're clear on that. Okay? He had to overcome the deficit. He had to overcome the two left tackles. He had to overcome the five turnovers. By the way, having one fumble himself, no interceptions. He threw four. How many yards did Dak Prescott throw for in that game? Uh, let me get off this tab. I don't know why I have that tab. How many yards he had? 450. Oh, by the way, let me let me just pull up his fucking numbers. Let me pull up his numbers in that uh, on Google. I don't like how ESPN shows me their stats. Because they don't, for some weird reason, have his passer rating on their box score. Yeah, they don't. It's so weird that they don't have the, that that they don't have his excuse me, his passer rating. So his passer rating was 109.4. Um, if you don't know the average passer rating, and passer rating is weird because it's it's like on a scale of like 1 to I think 158.3 or 0 to 158.3. But pretty much average is 93.4. Don't ask me. Well, I think it's because the quarterback play has improved significantly. So quarterbacks are graded significantly higher. So the, uh, the average passer rating, and if you're wondering how did you get the average passer rating, I looked up the 32 starting quarterbacks. I added up all of their their um their numbers, or I like I averaged them out. I I add like I did you know like basic math like averages and stuff like that. I added up all of their individual passer ratings. I think I divided um, 32 by that or the um the the number by 32. I don't know. I haven't like I I'm not good at explaining math, but you know what? I I came up with the with the average. The average was 93.4. That's the average passer rating. Dak Prescott was significantly higher, 109.4. And if you don't understand anything about professional sports and percentages and small advantages, in this particular case when it comes to Dak's um when it comes to Dak's passer rating, a small advantage, and by small I mean like 10 points is a huge margin going from average to significantly above average. And his completion percentage was that of essentially Drew Brees, 72.3%, but Dak was actually throwing the football down the field, which Drew Brees didn't do last night, and which he surprisingly hasn't really done at all in the last couple of years. Literally, he did something that's impossible on Sunday. Just want everybody to understand that did did something that no other team had done ever in a hundred years. 
He played a fantastic football game. He was absolutely phenomenal in that football game. He was an elite level player. I'm going to refer to Dak Prescott as a elite level player. He's the reason why I'm essentially throwing an, an axe to um to my to to this belief that you know top five quarterbacks are the only elite quarterbacks. That's BS because Dak Prescott. Because there's now going to be six. There's now going to be Dak Prescott, Deshaun, and in, this is in no particular order, by the way. Uh, there's going to be six dudes that are elite. Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and Russell Wilson. They're all elite. They are all elite. Let me tell you, let me, let me tell you something. Let me show you something here. So... The thing that always impresses me about Dak Prescott, when it comes to um, when it when it comes to his ability to build rapport with certain players, is that it doesn't really matter if if it's the you know the first guy, the starting wide receiver, or the starting tight end, or whoever. He always has a significant amount of rapport with all of his wide receivers. And again, nobody talks about this. Nobody's gonna give him credit for this, but I'm gonna give him credit for this. So, <clears throat> in the entire football game, Dak Prescott had 450 yards. And you would think that the bulk of that comes from the three wide receivers, Gallup, C.D., Lamb, Amari Cooper. And it did. Like, 250 came from those three receivers. But the other 200 yards came from Dalton Schultz, Blake Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, and Noah Brown. The ways that, you know, not not divvied up, so to speak, but just showing you how many yards and targets and things of that nature um, guys got. Let me let me read you the yards. So CeeDee Lamb, the rookie out of Oklahoma, by the way, to everybody who was like, Dallas doesn't need a wide receiver. Why do you need him? This is why. He had 106 yards, six receptions. Uh, he had nine targets. He led the team, by the way, in yards. He led the team in yards. A rookie. Keep in mind, they have Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup on the football team, and it's the rookie, C.D. Lamb, that leads the team in yards. Now, Dak had four touchdowns, three of which were rushing touchdowns, one of which was a receiving touchdown. The only guy that caught his only touchdown of the day was Dalton Schultz. The backup tied into Blake Jarwin, by the way. Dalton Schultz. He had 10 targets. He had 9 receptions. By the way, C.D. Lamb had 9 targets, 6 receptions. Amari Cooper, 9 targets, 6 receptions, six receptions Excuse me, as well. Hmm. 106 yards for Lamb, 100 yards for Coop. 88 yards for Dalton Schultz. The backup, and I have to repeat this, the backup tight end, the unproven tight end, the 7th round tight end. He was almost an undrafted free agent. He got, he caught 10 passes, not 10, excuse me. He got 10 targets, caught nine of them. And he fumbled the football, but he, he, he freaking was on a game right there. He had himself a game. Michael Gallup, the third receiver, two receptions, five targets. He was a little, you know, he, he, he's got to be better. 
but he had 58 yards. His average just catch was 29 yards. Meaning that every single time Michael Gallup caught the football, he gained 29 yards. Almost 30. That's insane. That's all literally a third of the field. Blake Bell, the third string tight end, had 34 yards. He got targeted three times. He got he caught two passes, one of which was this like fadeaway throw from Dak. And I'm like, oh, Dak's gonna throw this in the air because it's lofting, and, and it was perfectly caught by Blake Bell. The third string tight end. So the second string has 10 targets, 9 receptions. The third string has 3 targets, excuse me, 2 receptions. Ezekiel Elliott had 7 targets, 6 receptions, 33 yards. And Noah Brown had 2 targets, 2 receptions. They were all catching the ball at an extremely high rate. And they all, like uh, like the big players like C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, even though Michael Gallup, he didn't catch as many balls as he probably needed to and he only had 58 yards. His yards per catch were insane with 29. I mean, it, like Dak, Dak was fantastic. He was fantastic in that football game. He was elite. This is the reason why I'm going to say he's elite. This is why I'm going to say Dak Prescott is an elite-level quarterback because of this game right here. So, <clears throat> a lot of people, they ask the question, you know, or not even ask the question. They make the the uh, assertion and the assumption. You know, why didn't the Falcons defenders land on top of that football during the onside kick. And the simplicity to that, you know, to that question, or not the simplicity, excuse me, but the answer to that question is is very, very simple. When you're in that type of a situation, and if you watch that kick, you never touch a football that's past 10 yards. or not, Yeah, that's past 10 yards. Not past, but before 10 yards. Because the defense, the special teams unit on the opposition is going to swarm around it. Right, So a lot of people are, so the Falcons, in fact, I think even somebody was saying it on the Falcons, they were saying, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it, because if you touch it, what's going to happen is that the other special teams unit is going to jump on you and try and take the ball away, giving them a higher opportunity and a higher chance. It's not like the Falcons special teams knew that the ball was going to travel 10 yards. They were just going to, they were assuming that it was only going to travel like five, six, maybe seven yards, maybe eight, and then sputter out. And that's kind of what it looked like. But it traveled all 10, and they got it. And by that point, it was too late. It's why they were trying to box out each other from trying to get it. Because they were like, we, we don't want to touch it. And we want to go away from it because we don't want the ball to touch us. That was the whole principle and the concept of that kick. That's why the Falcons spent their final time out on going over special teams to be like, hey, we're not going to touch it. Don't touch it if, it's, if it spins because it's going to give Dallas a high opportunity to make a play on the football. That was the whole reason why they didn't touch it. That was the whole reason why. And people just, it just went over people's heads. The whole concept behind that kick. But again, a lot of people, they boil that fantastic game down to only that play. And I'm like, even that play, there is a lot of, there is the brilliance of John Fossil on full display. 
It's like, like, wow, like you actually, you kind of actually have to think about what you're doing and not just like, just be like, boom, we're just going to make a, you know, a, a decision. It's like, no, it's like, if you make the wrong decision, Dallas could get the football. And the decision that they decided to make was, hey, just don't touch it. It's not necessary. There needs to be a little bit more nuance to that situation. It's like, hey, you know, maybe, maybe you touch, like, like essentially their special teams coach probably told them don't touch it. It wasn't about they didn't know whether and the owner Arthur Blank came out and said obviously our players didn't know that you could touch the football before um, before uh, the ten yard mark. That wasn't the case at all. The, the the reason why they were waiting for the football or looking at the football was they were waiting for it to sputter out. They didn't know Dallas had that in their back pocket because they had never seen that because that's something that Dallas has never done. There's a whole reason why Dallas like didn't allow people to film their practices. For that exact reason. So that way they can unravel it later on. Because God, like if it, for example, if the ball, if somebody dives on the ball, the ball's still spinning, what's going to happen? Ball's going to spin out of your hands. You touch the football, Dallas could recover. It's the whole concept behind that kick. Because it's not like Dallas just were like, we're, we're waiting at the 10-yard line. There are Dallas Cowboys Surrounding that football, just like the Falcons. Whole concept behind that play. So it's why it was such a fantastic kick. It's why it was such a great call by John Fossil. And it's why there's so much more nuance to just, oh, you know, they kicked the ball really, really far, and they, uh, you know, they should have landed on the football. And it's like, no, there's there's way more to that. It's why it was such a brilliant kick and a beautiful onside recovery but I mean the amount of plays that Dak had to make not just in the in the passing game but in the rushing game not in the rushing game because he really didn't rush for that many yards but in the passing game specifically where he constantly just had to make plays over and over and over and over and over again and those garbage time numbers that everybody quoted those garbage time numbers oh man you know Dak's garbage time numbers it's like how do you feel about those garbage time numbers now because the one thing that I will give credit to Mike McCarthy and the coaching staff at that end of the game, when their plans, they didn't freaking work at all, the, the best thing that they did was get the hell out of Dak Prescott's way and let, them say, let him save them. I'll say this. Last year, that bitch would not have happened at all. They would not have allowed, allowed excuse me, Dak Prescott to do that shit. At all. And by them, I mean Jason Garrett's coaching staff. That's the reason why Dallas won this football game. That's the reason why Dallas was able to come back from like a uh, a 20 to 0 deficit by the way. It's the whole concept behind that. They let Dak ball and the Falcons were scoreless in the third quarter. Let's listen to uh Some really, really interesting people. Fantastic people. Let me just make sure I have all of my tabs pulled up. Cool, cool, cool. Let me take a swig of my Gatorade. That sounded weird. I tried to say it like they said it on the water boy. The water boy, excuse me. I love Powerade. It's not even Gatorade. I, I, it was a slip of the, of the tongue. It's Powerade. But it tastes the same. It's, it's sweet and it's a sports drink. 
<clears throat> I have two clips for you. In fact, I have like three or four. But before I get to the clips, let me um let me address something very very quickly. So last week on Friday, um, I talked about how I thought it was ridiculous that LeBron James was not the MVP of the league, and um, I felt that the voters had made a drastic mistake, and I felt that the um, the voters are ridiculous. And I didn't mention the voters by name because um, I didn't want to call out anyone specifically because I was like I thought everybody had essentially failed, which is why I was like. Nobody gets a pass on this. It's not like the class succeeded and the individual failed. It's like everybody failed, so everybody gets an F. It's also kind of like there's there's another reason. It's like I know I'm a small podcast right now, but I'm you know I'm like I'm the best. Um, so I didn't want to like attract any negative attention to one person. Um, Doug Gottlieb did not necessarily have that common courtesy. Uh, he calls out Maria Taylor, who apparently made a mistake over the voting. She apparently made a. She apparently didn't vote for Anthony Davis to be All NBA. Which, to be honest with you, um, I don't know how you make that mistake at all. I I don't get it. Maria Taylor said she made a clear mistake on her NBA. I don't know how you make a clear mistake. I I don't I don't get that. LeBron is going to explain it. Yes, I have a, a clip of LeBron. Trust me. This plays into literally everything that we're talking about. I don't get how this is a clear mistake. I'm not sure. Like, it, like I've voted before. It's like it's pretty hard to fuck up voting. You know? Speaking of which, this is National Voter Registration Day. If you didn't vote, or not vote, but get registered, get fucking reg- registered. Anyways. Um, I don't know how she made a clear mistake. This is obviously not a clear mistake. This is just her kind of covering her ass. Um, and if you didn't see the the Doug Gottlieb uh, situation, essentially Doug Gottlieb said that uh, Maria Taylor shouldn't be voting because she's doing way too much. And people were like, well, you know, like like essentially a bunch of jackasses had said to her, for, uh, to her in the comment section on Twitter, uh, go back to the kitchen. You're a woman. You're blah, 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 blah. And um, yeah, like I, I kind of I, I obviously agree that those comments are pretty shitty, but I also kind of side with Doug Gottlieb a little bit on this, and Doug Gottlieb is somebody that I said that I would never play on this podcast ever again, and I've been pretty consistent on that, actually, like, you'll not hear his his voice on this podcast ever again, and um, I won't even read you his tweets, but essentially he said that because she's doing so much, she can't actually, like, judge, or not judge, but, like, she can't watch enough games to have an informed opinion on the NBA, on the NBA voting, um, my counter to that is, I don't think anybody, and by anybody, I mean literally anybody that vote, maybe not anybody, but most voters that vote for the MVP, I think that most of them don't actually watch a lot of the games. I don't think most of the, the voters know what they're talking about. Yes, that is Maria Taylor included, but it's also the dozens upon dozens of men that also do the voting as well. I'm very, very fair and consistent on this, which is, again, why I was like, I don't really feel the need to call out people individually because they all suck. That's the All-NBA. That's the MVP. That's Defensive Player of the Year. They all suck. Nobody gets a participation trophy for sucking a little bit worse than the others. You all suck. You all failed. You all shouldn't be voters because you all get it wrong consistently. Right? And LeBron even talked about it. And trust me, this 
will this will freaking correlate with what I was talking about with Dak. This will all circulate and correlate. Here's LeBron James talking about the MVP voters and how what's the uh, what's the quote that I have him? Uh, the voting scale is kind of weird, and also he's going to talk about how people don't actually watch the basketball games. Listen very closely to what he's got, what he's what he has to say here, because what he's about to say is essentially what I've been thinking for years, and he even picks it up. And this is why he doesn't care. He talked about how he was pissed off, but he also kind of says like, "This shit is stupid." The, the voting scale is a little weird to me sometimes. I mean, if you take 2012, if you just just stick with me here, 2012, 2013, I had a chance to be Defensive Player of the Year and also MVP in the same season. Um, and that year, Mark Gasol was rewarded Defensive Player of the Year. But he made second team all defense. Okay, so that doesn't make sense. It's, it's like being the MVP of the league, but you make second team all NBA. That's when I really started to look at things a little bit kind of like differently. I was like, how does that even make any sense? Um, it's like being rookie of the year, but you make second team all rookie. You know, and then I looked at the most improved this year, and rightfully so, Brandon Ingram was amazing. And I, you know, I thought he should have won it. But did you see the votes that Devontae Graham get? He averaged four points last year compared to 17 and a half. If that's not improving – what is and it's 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 just a, it's a weird thing sometimes that be, you just I don't know how much we are really watching the game of basketball or are we just in the narration mode the narrative beautifully articulated by the king lebron james Pretty much, and by the way, if you didn't catch what he said about the, um, the, the most improved player, essentially he was talking about how um, one player went from averaging four points last year to this year averaging 17 points. And he was talking about how, like, how many votes did that guy get? He, he got fuck all, right? He's talking about the stupidity of the voting system and kind of the, uh, the narrative of the media and how they're constantly pushing the narrative. Um, let me also kind of just check up on... The uh, the voting. I don't know if they released it. I don't know if they released it. They may have blocked it. They may have blocked it because of uh, of of like the backlash that Maria Taylor got. I shouldn't use her name. I'll just say the the voter. Let me also um. Let me also just try and find it here. By the way, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to try, I'm not going to like say specific names or whatever. I'm just going to kind of just look at it. How did I get to that page where I like had the actual breakdown of people? Let me see it. Um, hmm. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Let me try and look it up. It's on a different site. 
Here it is. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Giannis, 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 Giannis. And, um, I, and I'm going to do what I did on Friday, where I was like, I'm not going to mention, excuse me, the names. But it's like, I'm, I'm going to look for people who said, yep, there's this person that probably was talking about how LeBron James should have won it. Oh, would you look at that? This person actually voted for LeBron, and they was talked about voting for him. Giannis, Giannis, Giannis. How is this person an MV- how how is this person an MVP voter? I don't. I'm not going to say their name, but I I don't get how some of these people are MVP voters, and they they do. It's not Maria Taylor that I'm talking about. If you're just just in case, if you're wondering, but yes, I yeah. If you're wondering, you know what? You know, if I'm if I'm gonna put her on blast, I'm gonna put um, this guy on on blast. How is Stephen A. Smith an MVP voter? Like I don't I don't get that. I don't get how he's an MVP voter when he covers football and other sports, and he has a radio show talking about a whole bevy of sports, and he watches different sports. He doesn't watch every single game. Or most of the games in a regular season. He doesn't. There's just... It's impossible. There's no way that he can do what he does on First Take. And the radio show. And um, the other like media obligations that he has. And still like watch enough football and basketball games to have a, a significantly informed opinion. That's the whole concept with the whole Maria Taylor thing. It's like how can you do all of that and still have an informed opinion? You can. It's impossible. There's way too much stuff to cover. There's way too many games to cover. Like, and it goes beyond just watching it one time. It's why I'm watching the Dallas Cowboy game again. This is my third time watching it. I watched it yesterday. I watched it on Sunday. This is my third time watching that Cowboy game. It's why I know so damn much about the Cowboys, because I watch them three times a week. That's how I know so much. (sighs) Oh, my God. Like, I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get how he can have a, 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 a vote. I don't get how a lot of people can have a vote. That shouldn't have a vote. That cover different sports. I don't get it. You, you cannot tell me. You cannot tell me that you have a honest to God, strong, not strong opinion, informed opinion when you cover multiple sports. You can't do it. It's impossible. You can be like, yeah, you know, I have, I've, I've been in the league. I've been in, I've been in sports for X amount of years. It's like, no, 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 no. It's about not about your experience that you had. It's about the experience that you have this year because we know that sports change on a year, year to year basis. Play changes, record changes, stats changes, everything changes. Changes, excuse me. You cannot have people who cover other sports extensively. And then, like, and then have them be the MVP voters. That's that's not how that works. It's the whole concept of why Maria Taylor got backlash from uh, Doug Gottlieb, and I kind of agree with the backlash in the sense of like, yeah, you're covering way too many sports. You're a college um, sideline reporter and an NFL reporter, and you cover the NBA. It's like you're you're doing way too much stuff. It's the exact same reason why I'm going to give to Stephen A. It's like no, you're doing way too much stuff. That's ridiculous. That so many people cover so many different sports 
And even the people who cover basketball, it's like it's like LeBron James said. It's like, how many of you are, are actually watching the games? And this will funnel back to, this is going to funnel back to Dak Prescott. Because I got multiple clips, ladies and gentlemen. I got a lot of clips. About, um, about Dak Prescott. I got a lot of clips. A lot of clips. About Dak Prescott. Two of which came from media guys. Media guys, right? Like, you know, like uh, Ryan Clark, former Steeler safety or corner. I don't know which position he played. Former corner. He's been on Dak for the last two weeks. No, not even on the last two weeks. Um, how long has he been? How, how long has he just been jumping down Dak Prescott's throat? How many weeks? Not even weeks, excuse me. I, I meant to say days. I think he's been on Dak for like two, three days. Not three days, but like the span the span of time that I'm going to play you these these Ryan Clark clips are literally going to be three days. So from literally, I think the Friday, yeah, it, the Friday that they like uh, the Friday before the game to the Monday after the game, his opinion changes widely, widely. Like, I get stuff wrong all the time on the podcast. And by wrong, I mean, like, I get stats wrong. My opinions sometimes are wrong. I have my um, my record for this week. It was 13-3. and three. I predicted three games lost. Pretty high. Um, I, I predicted three games wrong, excuse me. Even though I got three games wrong, it was, a still, it was still a pretty high win, you know, percentage. It was still 81.25, which it was last week. If I had freaking picked the Raiders like I had tried to pick, I was like, I, I feel like the Raiders are going to win this football game. And then I was like, eh, I believe more in the Saints than in the Raiders. Not going to make that mistake ever again. Maybe not ever again. And then the Colts versus the Vikings. That was another game that I should have picked the Colts. But I thought that Phillip Rivers was going to throw a bajillion interceptions. He did not. I think he threw like one or two. I don't know. Um, and then the Bengals versus the Browns. I freaking picked with my heart over my head and I got burned by it. Thank you, Baker Mayfield. <laughs> But I get stuff wrong all the time. And it's okay to get stuff wrong all the time. What's not okay is this incessant, like, just ridiculous need to be right and to always get things incredibly wrong. And it's disturbing to me how consistently people are like, we'll just get stuff wrong or we'll just make up a bunch of dumbass shit. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. And it's just like, it's super, super consistent. Like, I just... I, I don't get it. I really, really don't. Let me just line up these clips and I'll play you. Play one. So the first clip that I have for you is the uh, the clip straight after the, um, the Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys lost to the Rams on Sunday Night Football. Here's what Ryan Clark has to say about the Dallas Cowboys and what they should do and all that good stuff. And I have um I have this interesting sheet, this um this stat line for you. It's just like you either didn't watch the uh the game or you didn't watch or you didn't read up on the numbers, which is ridiculous because ESPN have stat guys to literally do what I'm doing for you for free. Technically they're getting paid, but you don't have to pay them. It's like just go to a stat guy and ask, hey, is this stat legitimate or not? And they would tell you last week, 
nope, Ryan, that's not correct. That's not accurate. Don't probably say that on national television. He's like, I'm going to say it on national television anyways because I watched them probably briefly on Sunday night, probably was on my phone, maybe on Netflix, maybe reading a book. I don't know what he does in his spare time. I don't know. But it's obvious that you didn't watch the full game, Ryan. It's pretty obvious. Here's uh, Ryan Clark talking about the uh, the Dallas Cowboys and their loss to the... Uh, what, what was he talking about specifically in, uh, instead of just... Gav- oh, yeah. The, he's going to talk about the best option for the Dallas Cowboys, and he's going to imply that it is Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, let's listen to this absolute glorious ta- take by Ryan Clark. Do they need to open up the offense and be more aggressive? RC, you look skeptical. Well, I'm, I'm skeptical about the comparison. Uh, he compared Patrick Mahomes and Dak Prescott. Not the same thing, right? When one person has a Lamborghini and the other person has a Honda Pilot, you don't let those two teams race, nor do you have the same pit crews. And so that's the <laughs> oh, one thing. Now, Prescott's a Honda Pilot? Is, you just said, RC? Listen, it was my it was my favorite car when I was when I played. I got a Honda Pilot from doing some promotion and I loved it. I drove it to the game. I drove it to the game every Sunday. It was extremely reliable. It was safe and it could get you to point A to B eventually. Maybe not fast, but eventually. And that's who <laughs> Dak Prescott is. He's reliable, he's safe, and he will get you from point A to B eventually. Patrick Mahomes, on the other hand, will get you point A to B right now. And that's the reason that Andy Reid coached that way but when you make that comparison I want you to think of this think back to last Thursday who was the star for the Kansas City Chiefs Clyde Edwards Hilaire you know why because they had to put people on the outside to stop the passing game and Andy Reid made the smart decision to go with the best option not necessarily the best player the best option for this team right now with those three wide receivers is Ezekiel Elliott that literally makes no sense if you have three wide receivers, and he's going to continue on with this ridiculousness, if you have three top-tier wide receivers and you have a top running back, why wouldn't you funnel your offense through the top three wide receivers, right? And I have the, uh, the play bre- breakdown. I was looking this up because I didn't have it originally. So the play breakdown was, um, was like 39 passes to 22 rushes. So they threw the football a lot in that game. But when you compare it to the actual, like, league average, right? Not to the league average, but to the rest of the league. Dallas was just the 10th throwing team in the uh, in the NFL. The 10th. They weren't, like, top five even. They were just 10th, right? So they threw it a lot, but they didn't throw it, like, in the top five. The teams that threw it in the top five were teams like Atlanta, Indianapolis, Buffalo, Green Bay, Tennessee, Right? And to get to the league average, which is 16th, you only needed to throw the football less than four times. Like the league average was 35 attempts in a game. Dallas had 39. So there's not like, so literally being a couple, and by the way, they were tied, it was, it was Dallas 10th, Cleveland 11th with 39, and then Cincinnati, Tampa Bay, uh, Chicago with 36. Um, and then Seattle, New York at 35, and those two teams were 15 and 16, respectively. So this notion that, oh, you know, oh, man, Dallas, they needed to, they needed to run the football more than they needed to throw it is ridiculous because they have three of the best wide receivers in the NFL, or not three of the best wide receivers in the NFL, excuse me, they have 3,000-yard wide receivers. And then I looked at Zeke's numbers. Zeke had a long run of 14 yards, Right? When people ask and say the ridiculous notion, you know, like, you got to give the ball to Zeke. You got to give the ball to Zeke. The question is, why? 
Is it because you get a lot of yards in the run game with Zeke? Is it because you get a lot of uh, big plays in the run game with Zeke? Because you don't. You do not get a lot of big plays with Zeke. You don't. His long of that game was 14 yards. Dak ran the football as well. His, um, uh, like, uh, three times, he had it for three carries for 30 yards. His long of that game was 12 yards. Dak almost had a a run as long as Ezekiel Elliott, and I get it, it's different because, you know, he's, you know, he's a quarterback, so sometimes receivers are down the field, and DBs and linebackers and safeties, they go, obviously, down the field uh, to travel with or into coverage, obviously, so I get it, there's space underneath for Dak to run, but still, his biggest play was two yards more than Dak Prescott's. That's not that's not an offense that you should run your off your your that's not a play that you want to run your offense through when it comes to big plays. He's a consistent running back. He's a great running back. He's one of the best in the league. But does he give you big plays? No, he does not. He does not. And if you're wondering, 24, what was what was his biggest play this weekend? It was 11 yards. He doesn't give you big plays. I don't get why Ryan Clark, and he, and he doesn't tell you why they should run the football through Zeke. They don't. They never do. Notice how, like, everybody says, like, run the football through Zeke, run the football th- through Zeke, run the football through Zeke, and it's like, why? It's the laziest argument ever because there's no nuance to it, and like LeBron James said, there's a narrative to it. The narrative is Dallas runs, or not runs, but wins games when they run the football. Well, guess what? Dallas on Sunday threw the football how many times did they throw it? How many times? 47. Almost 50 times. And they won it. And they scored 40 points. Huh. Huh. They scored 40 points, which I think was one of the highest scoring games in, for, the, uh, for the Dallas Cowboys in the last, like, four years. And they threw it 47 times, and they ran it 20-something times. You would think that there would be some type of a correlation there, right? Oh, like, let's just run the football a little bit less than we do the, uh, let's, let's run it a little bit less than we throw it, so that way we can, uh, have some big plays and score a lot of points. In, uh, I think three of their scoring drives in the third and the fourth quarter, they scored the ball in, like, under three minutes. Hmm. And by the way, if you're wondering, it's like, yeah, Stack was the main distributor in that ball game. Keep in mind, three days, this is on the Friday before this football game. We'll listen to what he had to say after this clip. But yes, there's there's still more to this clip, ladies and gentlemen. And you get to the past game off of that. These two things are not the same. But one thing that is true, if you go with what's best, if you go away from where the defense is leaning, you can win. And that's what the Cowboys have to do, not force feed Dak Prescott so you can make up or make yourself feel better for putting him on a franchise tag and paying him $31 million. I don't even know how that's a narrative. That's not a thing. That's not what happened. It's like, so you would want them to run the football when they're down instead of throwing it? So that way they can score quickly, get a lead, and potentially get the ball back again against the Rams? Because the defense didn't play very well against the Rams. Couldn't stop the run, couldn't stop the pass. Couldn't generate pressure against Jared Goff. What do you want them to do? Do you want them to just slow play it and run out a shit ton of clock and prevent them from winning the game? Because they have to score and then play defense, or more specifically, get scored on again, hopefully very quickly, and then they have to go down and score again, right? They have to keep scoring. I don't, like, people don't understand end-of-game situations, especially from the offensive side of the football. Like, people don't understand, like, you have to actually score multiple times 
It's not just about running the football and scoring one time. Here's another clip. And keep in mind, he talks about three days ago. He talks about how, you know, Dallas, they need to run the football. They need to, you know, like like, the, like Dax a Honda Civic or a Honda, Honda Pilot or whatever the car he was talking about. You know, they got to they gotta run the football with Ezekiel Elliott and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they, they got to freaking go through him. Check this out. Check, check out what he has to say literally three days later about the Dallas Cowboys and, uh, and Dak Prescott. The Dallas Cowboys and the, this offense got forced into throwing the football. They got forced in to trying to go get it. They got mm. forced into seeing Ken Amari, mm. C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup get mm. down the field and make big plays. And they had the perfect team for it. You mm. watched last week as this team, the Atlanta Falcons, was ate up by the Seattle Seahawks. And I said, going into the weekend, this is the week that the No, Dallas- you didn't. You said that, uh, and, I, and I kid you not, and I made sure that it was on Friday. It's like, no, you didn't. You just said on Friday that Dallas should run the football through Zeke because he's their quote-unquote best option when they have three options at wideout who can all get you 100 yards on a weekly basis. That's what you said. You said that Zeke is their best option, not the three wide receivers and the top five quarterback, the the top-tier elite quarterback. That's what you said. I didn't say that. You're making up stuff now on national television. Cowboys need to see what these three receivers... No, they don't. No, they don't. They don't need to see what these three receivers have because they're proven receivers. C.D. Lamb was one of the best. If he was the best receiver in college, Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper both had a thousand yard seasons last season. Nobody needs to prove anything. The quarterback doesn't need any pro- need to prove anything, especially after that game. What are you talking about, Ryan Clark? Now you're just making up stuff to fit once again what LeBron James said: a narrative. This quarterback can do, and they did, and they got big ball, big plays up top. Michael Gallup makes a big play. You see Amari Cooper with the one hand catch. C.D. Lamb shows you what type of route technician he was. But this points back to Dak Prescott, as Dan said. Hmm. He needed to be the guy. Hmm. Kellen Moore kept him as balanced as they possibly hmm. could. And Dak delivered every hmm. single time you asked him. Hmm. He might be a Honda pilot, hmm. but he was on the Autobahn <laughs> with no obstacles and no adversity. And he got to 130. What? Is- you know, it's, it's, again, it's, it, again, I talked about the adversity that he had to overcome. He had to overcome, I think, eight dudes being on IR, two of his starting left tackles being on IR, not left tackles, two of his starting tackles being on IR, the swing tackle, Cam Irving being on IR, all those players, all those his, his starting tight end being hurt and out for the entire season, all those guys were just out and done, had to overcome adversity. And here is Ryan Clark just sputtering utter nonsense on national television. I was like, wait, what? Like, that doesn't. I, I literally was like astonished when he said that. I was like, wait, what? He had to overcome no adversity? He literally had to, had to overcome five turnovers. <laughs> five turnovers. What are you talking about? Did you watch the game, Ryan? Did you watch the game? Or did you just get the clip notes? So he also, by the way, says something absolutely hilarious. He, he's, he's like, Kellen Moore kept them as balanced as possible. Yeah, Dak throwing almost 50 times and. Them running the football 22 times. Yeah, that's balanced offense right there. <laughs> How many times? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I have the, um, I have the, the, the season breakdown of the Cowboys. Where, where is it? I have the season breakdown of the Cowboys um, right here. Dallas in week two had, uh, <laughs> had the third most attempts. Yeah, that's balanced. Cal- hey, 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 Ryan. That's real balanced offense, right? 44 attempts on average. But that's their new average. Right? They're now third in the league for attempts in a game. Yeah. Great job, Brian. Yeah, that's, 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 pretty, 
That's pretty good analysis right there. Pretty good statistical analysis. They went from having 37 in um in in the um in the in the Sunday night game to now 47 and now averaging how many is it now? They're averaging 44 attempts per game in the last two games. <laughs> A lot of people ask me all the time, 24. Why do you say like I like I always I always mention people always ask me 24. Why do you keep on calling yourself the best video gaming and sports podcast? This is why. These are my opponents. These are the people that I have to go on. Excuse me, go against on a daily basis. These are the people. If I had to go up against myself, eighty bajillion different ways to Sunday, I would be in fucking trouble. I would be out of a job. But no, these are the people. People who give these one-minute, unresearched, terribly articulated hot takes that I literally just have to freaking, like, like, like I, I, I literally have to go up against, and it's like the easiest job ever. It's just like I just look up their stats on Google, and it's like, oh, yeah, you're dead wrong, Ryan. Like, dead wrong. I said I have to use the bathroom. I will, um continue forward with this in a little bit after I um, after I take a quick bathroom break because again um, monster energy drinks they run through me like a hot knife runs through warm butter so um, I'll be back in a couple of minutes to play you a clip that I actually couldn't even get through I couldn't even get through the entire clip I stopped it I was like this is going on the podcast, and I'm going in, into this clip raw and cold because I don't even need to look at the damn clip to break it down. I'll break it down on the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, 24's podcast.
sorry for the uh, the very, very, very long delay. That was like a seven or... That was a nine-minute delay. Jesus Christ. Um, uh, I had to drop bombs. <laughs> like, I, I had to... I had to drop bombs, man. I, I had to take a dump. I'm not going to lie to you. I freaking sat on the toilet. And I, like, I was, I, like, I was about to just take a whiz. And I freaking, like, farted. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got to take a dump now. Po- apologize for it. My bad. But, yeah. um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyways, um, let me take a look at my Gatorade or Powerade first. Hold on. I love the name Gatorade and Powerade, but I feel like it should be one or the other, you know, because it's a pretty, it's pretty much the same thing. It's like the super, I now understand why I love these drinks so much. I like, I was like, man, why do I love this monster, this monster juice energy drink? Right. And then I'm like, oh, there's 46 grams of sugar in it. And then I was like, okay, why do I like Powerade and Gatorade so much? And it's like, oh yeah, it's because they're super, super sugary drinks. Granted. They do hydrate. They are delicious. They do hydrate. That's that's like the best thing about them. They do hydrate. They do give you like, you know, like like water and stuff like that. But they're also super fucking sugary. Let me take a swig first. Hold on. It's like, oh yeah, that's why I love them. <clears throat> Ooh. So. Final thing I got for you about this whole Dak Prescott saga and, you know, I like, oh, you know, Dak, uh, people just being obnoxious about Dak Prescott and things of that nature. The final thing that I have for you today is this clip from Colin Cowherd that I literally couldn't even finish. Remember how, like, eight or nine, maybe ten minutes ago, I was talking about how I couldn't finish one clip because I was like, wow, that that is so bad that I don't even need, I don't even need to freaking listen to the entire thing to prepare myself because it's that bad. Remember that? This is that clip. It's going to take a little while to develop, and I still haven't heard it, so it may be another five to ten minutes. Not five to ten minutes. It's going to be like another maybe... It's going to be five minutes tops before I talk again. Where's my pen? I got to write some stuff down. I'll write down what Colin Cowherd says, and I'll dress it in full sequence so that way um, we can both have like freaking an understanding of how ridiculous this is ladies and gentlemen uh colin cowherd talking about dak prescott terribly and unarticulate and and terribly articulates himself excuse me while doing it colin cowherd first of all that first quarter was hold on let me turn it down mess you got to give dallas credit for this they just kept fighting and this is one of the things i like about dak he's got Dak's formidable. Uh, you plan hard. But let me ask you about this. Sometimes you need to ignore the result in life. If my kids run into traffic and don't get hit by a car, I'm not going, excellent job, excellent job. I'm chewing them out. Sometimes you got to ignore the result. There are lessons to be learned. And I would ask this about Dallas. What do they, what do, they do well? I mean, compete to the end, but I mean, multiple fumbles, two fake punts, lousy execution, weird late game strategy. It's not just schemes. They're not close defensively in the secondary. I mean, they have talented individuals. I would not 
I would not deny that. But what collectively does Dallas do well? What can you put your arms around? Okay, they competed till the end. Well, you're kind of compa- you're paid to do that. But when I look at Dallas, I see Amari Cooper and Zeke and Dak. But you know what's happening to Dallas? They're starting to look a lot like last year by week two. Zeke's going to get a lot of yards. Dak's going to get a lot of yards. They're going to have three 1,000-yard receivers, and they're not going to be able to beat good teams. They're going to beat Atlanta. They're starting to look like last year, which is you're going to get some individual performances. Dak's going to have a bunch of yards. Amari Cooper's fantastic. Zeke, I, I love Zeke. There's nothing about him I don't like. Not quite as good as two years ago. Love him. But collectively, what do you rely on? Ah, if you look at Dak's final numbers, if you look, if you look at those and, and, and you look at the final score, if you look at the results, you're like, whoo, party. But this, this is a good fantasy team. This is a good highlights team. Do you believe this morning, if you're a Cowboy fan, it's a good football team? I don't. And by the way, Mike McCarthy, we've said this in the last couple of weeks, he's trying too hard. In week one, he wanted to show that he wasn't conservative against Sean McVay, so he went for it in an obvious kick-a-field-goal situation. Yesterday, he reverted back to the old conservative Mike McCarthy facing a defensive coach, and at the end of the game, after the onside kick, they get a nice reception to C.D. Lamb, and then they run, run, kneel. It's like a 46-yard field goal. I mean, I know you have a great kicker. <laughs> Can you? Atlanta was gassed. Atlanta was tired. Atlanta couldn't stop anybody. Come on. This is the time to be aggressive. 36-yard field goals, even for a great kicker, are easier than 46-yard field goals. I don't think Dallas knows what they are. And I think self-identity is a real thing in the NFL. Like, already New England knows what they are. They knew what they were first series. We're going to run the football, control the clock, put it in Cam's hands, give him a lot of time to throw, play great defense, hit our field goals. New England's identified. They always do this exactly what they are. Lamar Jackson to Baltimore very early in his career. They identified what they were. What is Dallas? They fight. I don't know what they are. I don't know what collectively they do very well. Um, I mean, Mike McCarthy saw it as a, a, a... strident this this win is it means something and i just don't know what it means other than they're not beating good teams with that performance you know you look uh... all right shorter than i expected three minutes in 42 seconds and i wrote down the core of his arguments all right so he says he actually brings up two fantastic points First point that he brings up is, is it a good football team? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's a playoff team. And I said it like at the beginning of this year, but I was like, I think they're a playoff team. And I think that they are a NFC, the NFC championship team. But obviously as information changes, as data changes, it's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I think that's a good question to ask. It's like, what, what team? What team are they? Like, do you know what they are? I, I don't know if this is a good t- football team. I don't know either. We'll find out on Sunday. Sunday's going to be a fantastic measuring stick for the Dallas Cowboys. One game that they kind of lost, one game that they won. I mean, technically speaking, the Rams game, it was close. It was like really, really close. They almost actually won that football game if a pass interference call hadn't have gone the other way of Dallas. But again, I watched the football games. I'll get into that in a second. 
And then he says something else that's, I think, very, very important. He says, I don't think the Dallas, or I don't know that the Dallas Cowboys know what they are. He talks about Cam Newton and New England and Baltimore Ravens and, uh, and Lamar Jackson. And it's like, duh, of course they don't know who they are as a team yet. New coaching staff, new players. Of course, like, I would be surprised if they came in and they were like, okay, this is who we are. This is what we're going to do week one. This is how we're going to win. It's like, like, they don't know what they're doing right now. They're trying things out, which is why, like, that first week, they were very vanilla, both offensively and defensively. Week two, they started, out, especially at the end of the game, to freaking throw the football and go through Dak Prescott. But instead of throwing it wildly and sporadically, they just gave Dak, uh, D- Dak good completions, good options. And um, when they took shots, it was very, very well designed and articulated, or not articulated, excuse me, choreographed where on some of the um, the deep passing plays, they ran it off of play action, right? I don't know if you noticed that if you watched the football game, but they ran some of their best plays off of play action. I think the Michael Gallup one and the Amari Cooper um, one-handed grabs, they were both off of play action. And they were set up by an Ezekiel Elliott five or six or 10-yard run or something like that. They set it up with the run. It's kind of like what I was talking about on Sunday Night Football. I don't know if you saw that podcast, but I was talking about fighting in different stances. And how, you know, Dallas, they're a good boxer, right? Where they they can hit you hard with both of their hands. But they have to set up that cross. They have to set up that strong right with a couple of jabs with their left hand. And that's what they did. They jabbed with Ezekiel Elliott. And then they hit you with the passing game with that right cross. Bang, it's that one-handed Amari Cooper catch. It's that freaking catch with, Amar, with Michael Gallup in his butt. Inbounds, right? It's those catches. So yeah, it's like Dallas is figuring it out, but that's okay. You're not supposed to know how you're going to win football games in week two, especially during a global pandemic, especially, you know, in this situation. Like Baltimore isn't going to go 16-0, and neither is the, I mean, the Patriots, they just lost on Sunday. Like teams are going to get pressured, teams are going to get threatened, teams are going to lose. Those two teams are going to lose. The Patriots already lost, Baltimore's going to lose. It's not as simple as you walk in the front door and you have a way of winning. Winning, excuse me. Right? So he mentions, what was the, uh, the, the good question? Is this a good football team? I think it's going to be. And I said it's, I, I don't know now, but I think it's going to be. If you ask me, the, if you ask me like currently, I don't know if it's a good football team. Again, they have uh, they'll, they'll play against Seattle, which is going to be a good measuring stick. It's going to be interesting if Dallas loses to that team to Seattle, and people are like, "Well, you know, Dallas sucks um, because you know they're, they're exactly like they were last year." And blah blah blah. They lost to Seattle. They won against Atlanta, a bad team, and they go down one and two. And it's like Atlanta. Atlanta is a good football team. They got a lot of good players on it. Seattle's a good football team. There's nothing wrong with losing to good football teams. But how you lose is the question. Like, nobody's sweating Cam Newton and the Patriots because of uh, how they played up against um, uh, the the Seattle Seahawks. Like, nobody's like, oh, my God, like, the, the Patriots, they suck because they lost. It's like, no, that was a close game. Literally came down to the final play of the game. They can't have five turnovers in that game because they'll get smoked worse than they did in the Atlanta game. But, yes, like, Dallas is going to have a good test on Sunday. But I've watched Dallas for the last two weeks. And I've noticed that they've started to open up the offensive playbook and the special teams playbook as evident by the two fake punts. 
as evident by the Greg Zerline kick. They probably had to unveil some things that they probably didn't want to unveil to win the football game. But yes, they unveiled, like they were better passing-wise this week than they were last week. Significantly uh, so with the play calling and the play selection. I mean, they were way, way better this week than they were last week. Like night and day. Like, C.D. Lamb had 58, uh, 58 yards last week. Comparatively to this week, he had 100. Like, he ate. Amari Cooper ate. Dalton Schultz ate. Like, they had one additional week of preparation. They had two new starting left tackles. Both were essentially undrafted free... Both were undrafted free agents. Neither one of them had started in a game. And Dallas still wins? I mean, they. I think they gave up... How many sacks did they give up? I think it was what? One? One sack. How many? Hold on. How many sacks did they give up? Uh, they gave up one sack for five yards in the entire game. Right? Comparatively to three last week for 55 yards, right? 55 yards obviously lost. No, it wasn't 55 yards. I'm like, that seems a lot. It was 22, my bad. 22 yards lost off of three sacks. It was one sack on Sunday. Um, They lost only five yards. They got significantly better without Tyron Smith at the offensive line. They got significantly better in the offense down uh, down 30 points. And do you want to know what what happened? They're going to look at this tape. Uh, They're going to look at last week's... They they looked at last week's tape. And they're going to look at this Sunday's tape. And they're going to be like, wow, like when we were running an up-tempo offense and when we were throwing the football and when we were pretty active and things of that nature, we dominated. Like it wasn't even close. Atlanta could not stop our offense. This weekend on Sunday Night Football, they watched that game, they watched that tape, and they're like, wow, Seattle, they couldn't stop Cam Newton and the Patriots for the most part, especially when they were wheeling and dealing short yardage passes and stuff like that. It's like, wow, like they could not stop Cam Newton. Except on the final play where they stopped Cam Newton. Mm. But he said something interesting. He said, what does Dallas do well? Well, they throw the football, obviously well. And for some weird reason, they run the football very well. Offensively, of course. Defensively, that's a better question because they don't rush the passer very well. They tackle... But beyond that, like some of their coverage, their players on their secondary is bad, but they compensated. Like they played a good game considering that they had five turnovers on the offensive side of the football. It's like, wow, like they only gave up 39 points and they won the football game and they held the uh, the Falcons scoreless in the third quarter, by the way. Like, yeah, that'll win you football games. That will win you football games, ladies and gentlemen. What does Dallas do well? Then he said something that I was like, and this was the point that I had to pause the game on, or not the game on, the uh, the clip on. Where is it? Actually, before I talk about that, let me talk about, what, what was it? Oh, yeah, he also talks about how the only other thing that Dallas is good at is they compete towards the end until the end, and it's like, yeah, that's um, that's exactly what the Patriots did in the Super Bowl against the Atlanta Falcons. They competed towards the end, and they won the Super Bowl. Just like how Dallas competed towards the end, and they were able to come off with literally 
an impossible victory against the Atlanta Falcons. Yes, that is something that needs to be committed. And yes, that is something that's very, very important. It's like, yeah, do you want to know what? Do you want to know why? Because a lot of teams freaking don't compete towards the end until the end and we'll get on Carson Wentz. Trust you me. We will get on Carson Wentz in a little bit. And we'll talk about how he doesn't compete till the, toward the end and how he doesn't freaking um, uh, freaking uh, carry his team the way that Dak Prescott did in a lesser deficit. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But here, here's the clip that set me off and I was like, get it off. I got to talk about this on the podcast and I'll go in cold and I'll still destroy Colin Cowherd because of what he said here on this clip about how the Dallas Cowboys Run. attempted, oh, sorry, how the Dallas Cowboys attempted a 30, or not a 30, a 45-yard field goal, and that was the wrong decision. Deal, it's like, a 46-yard field goal? I mean, I know you have a great kicker. <laughs> Can you? Atlanta was gassed, Atlanta was tired, Atlanta couldn't stop anybody. Come on, this is the time to be aggressive. 36-yard field goals, even for a great kicker, are easier than 46-yard field goals. I don't think Dallas knows what they are. Okay, so keep in mind, and I'll exit the tab here because I, I got everything that I needed off of that clip. Keep in mind, what he's essentially saying, and, I, and again, I feel going back to going all the way back to almost an hour ago with LeBron James and how he said people don't watch the games. I don't think people are watching the games. I don't think Colin Cowherd knows what he's talking about when it comes to game-ending situations. First and foremost, Dak, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, let me go all the way back. Let me find that clip that he's talking about. Keep in mind, what he's saying is that they shouldn't have attempted the 45-yard field goal attempt. What they should have attempted was the what was to to make it 36. So make it make it a chip shot essentially, right? That's what he's saying. Let me um let me pull up the clip here. The final drive, or one of the final drives. By the way, I am watching the game live. Technically it's recorded but you know like you know what i mean it's 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 recorded but it's not live where where is it here we go let me take a swig of my power aid first hold on i'm getting an advertisement um it's for a ben bill murray movie with rashida jones love them both but um I don't watch Apple TV, man. It's on Apple TV. I'm like, I don't, I don't watch. I even like the publisher, the production studio or whatever. It's A24. What a beautiful name. <laughs> Are they going to show the final play? Um, or they're going to show one of the final sequences, right? So <clears throat> Dallas is second and 10 at their 46-yard line after the onside kick, right? Dak Pescott, deep drop back, clean clean pocket he finds cd lamb bang beautiful beautiful pass and he's inside it looks like the 30 yard line or close to like inside the 30 yard line of the um of the falcons they run it like a couple of times it's a 46 yard field goal attempt i thought it was 45 but listen man this is the criticism of brett maher right brett maher couldn't hit a 49 yard field goal 48 or something like that Maybe I think it may have even been from this distance. If you're a field goal kicker in the NFL and you can't hit it from 46, even like especially if you're a great field goal kicker, something is horribly wrong. This is the game-ending situation. Dallas, I think, had like 17 yards, not 17 yards, 17 seconds left on the play clock. They were trying to burn as much time so that way when they would kick the football, the ball would just like, like, like th- th- this would be the final play of the game essentially. 
and it wasn't they won it, so that way Atlanta can't win the football game at all. Right? And that's essentially the point here, right? Is that you believe in Greg Zerline that he's going to make a 46-yard field goal. That's why you paid him. That's why you got him from the Rams. And I mean, it's as perfect as perfect can, can be. Straight up through the uprights. But for some reason, Colin Cowherd is like, don't go for the win. Go for better field position when you don't have a timeout. Right? No timeouts. You're trying to go fast. You're trying to communicate. You're already inside field goal range. And for some weird reason, he has a criticism to say, well, you know, you needed to get 10 more yards to essentially make the field goal that your kicker made easier for no arbitrary reason whatsoever. For some arbitrary reason, excuse me. It's like, what? Like, you want them to get closer so that way they can make the field goal? Like, it would have been different if they had missed the field goal. But they had made it. It's from 46, right? Like, it doesn't make, like, it It doesn't make any sense whatsoever to move in closer when you've won, when you're inside your kicker's field goal range. It doesn't make any sense. The whole concept of getting Greg Zerline is so that way he can hit this, this field goal. And Brett Maher couldn't. And it was straight down the middle. It was accurate. It was poised. It was great. It was fantastic. It was exactly what you would want and need as the Cowboys. And Colin Cowherd's criticism is that they should move it closer to take a risk. What? Like, I, I, I'm so... Hold on. <coughs> Excuse me. Like, I, I even... I'm so confused at what he said, and I heard this is... That's like my second or third time hearing it. And I'm still confused on what he's saying. What is he saying? That they should attempt it to get closer after they made it? Let me find it. Hold on. How ridiculous can you be? Hold on, let me listen to it. Gassed, Atlanta was tired, Atlanta... A 46-yard field goal? I mean, I know you have a great kicker. <laughs> Can you? Atlanta was gassed, Atlanta was tired, Atlanta okay. couldn't stop anybody. Come on, this is the time to be aggressive. What? No, 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 the time is not to be aggressive. It's 37-39. to 39. You win the game off of a field goal. Not tie it, you win it. Like, like, what are you talking about? This is the time to be aggressive? Like, like, like I, I, th- this, is, this is what I talk about, right, all the time with people who always talk about, well, you got to run the football with Zeke. Well, you got to play defense. Well, you got to do this. Well, you got to do that. It's like, no, all you have to do is win the football game. That's literally all you have to do. There is no, like, nobody's going to look at that game and be like, wow, they, they had 10 more yards, um, or, or they, were 10, they were 10 yards further away from, um, from where Colin Cowherd said that they wanted to be. Nobody's going to be like, oh yeah, instead of going for like a 46-yard field goal, they needed to go for a 36. It's like, what? No, they don't. They won the football game. What do you mean they need to be more aggressive? They won it. I don't understand what he's saying at all. There's no need to be more aggressive when you won the football game. That's just stupidity. That's like the um, the fake punt, right? And I love how he's like, you know, Mike McCarthy was really conservative in that game. He 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 forced or not forced, but he had two fake punts. These are the people that I'm competing with, ladies and gentlemen. Can can you see 
like how easy it is for a dude like me, guy with no experience in this medium, guy with none. I come in and I'm like, I, I don't, I don't get how, I, I'm not gonna lie to you, I, I'm not gonna lie to you, I don't get it, I don't get the appeal, I get the hot takes, I get all that stuff, I just don't get the logic. You know, I don't get why people are like, yes, we're going to quote this. And it's like literally the people that I talk to sometimes when it comes to sports, they quote this shit. And I'm like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about because they don't know what you're talking, what they're talking about. They don't watch the football games. There's a reason why I don't talk about baseball and the UFC because I don't watch those sports. I don't watch them as much as I watch the foot, as much as I watch football and basketball. There's a reason, and by the way, I don't even I don't even have like a lot of time to watch basketball anymore because football takes up so much of my time. Like it's really hard to cover multiple sports. It's borderline impossible to be informed about sports. You can look and act like you're informed, but when you but when you freaking fo- like that's why like um the great broadcasters and the announcers not uh, bro- broadcasters and announcers excuse me the great analysts they only focus on like one or two sports because that's exactly what they know they only know like one or two sports you have to be extremely educated and you have to have like dozens of years of experience not dozens but like years of experience and in, in knowledge with covering sports sorry for hitting my microphone to be able to understand like not only what's going on in the league but also to have an impo- to have an informed opinion about it and you still have to freaking look at the damn games and it's obvious people don't Dave Chappelle he had a uh, a fantastic Emmy speech that I think embodies literally everything and by everything I literally mean everything that I've talked about for almost an hour and a half let me pull it up. Can I pull it up on Instagram? Maybe, maybe not. I think I have to be signed in and I don't have an Instagram account, by the way. Yes, I'm like one of the only people on the planet that doesn't have like an Instagram account. Here it is. I think I got it. Boy. Yep. Comes. I got it. Sorry. Let me do this. Here we go. Complete surprise. (laughs) I mean, I read all the reviews and they said so many terrible things. They were embarrassed for me. I had lost my way. It wasn't even worth watching. I hope all you critics learn from this. This is a teachable moment. Shut the fuck up forever. I gotta freaking clip that and play that. Every, I'm, I'm going to clip it. Don't worry. I will clip this. I'm, I'm not even going to get off this page. I'm not going to close this tab. I'm going to clip this. And every single time Dak Prescott freaking wins a game, does something great, I'm going to fucking play this. And I'm going to dig into people's chests. I will play it one more time because I fucked it up at the beginning. I'm going to play it one more time. Just listen close. Listen to what brother Dave Chappelle has to preach on. My way wasn't even worth watching. I hope all you critics learn from this. This is a teachable moment. Shut the fuck up forever. <laughs> Two in a night. These aren't them. These are the ones I want for the other ones, motherfucker. 
he he's by the way he has two Emmys on stage and he just won um another two that night for I think it was Sticks and Stones. Shout out to Dave Chappelle. Fuck out of here. That horse shit. EDP four four five is fucking freaking out right now. I'm gonna listen to this for a couple of minutes. If you don't know EDP four four five, it's um Eat That Pussy four four five. Shout out to him. Love him. What is he freaking out about? He's freaking out about Howie Roseman. By the way, if you think I curse, this guy makes me seem like a fucking, like, like the Teletubbies. This dude, I mean, I thought I cursed a lot until I freaking saw one of his rants. Check, check this out. Hold on. He's streaming this live, by the way, on YouTube. It just appeared in my feed, and I was like, I gotta watch this for, like, a couple of minutes. He's just sitting there. Oh, I think it's because um, Devontae Freeman, by the way, today he signed with the New York Giants instead of with the Philadelphia Eagles. And they were like, well, we couldn't get a deal done with Devontae Freeman, which is why uh, we didn't sign him. Let me listen to it. Sitting there very angry. Saying this fucking shit since day fucking one, dog. Sorry, sorry, let me turn it down. Just throw this on out there. When the fuck is Howie Roseman going to fucking die? Seriously, when is this bitch going to just stop motherfucking existing, my nigga? You feel me? Because, like, I swear to God, I fucking hate this piece of shit. Like, this fucking guy is the cancer of the motherfucking Eagles, dog. I've been saying this fucking shit since day fucking one, dog. And what's crazy about the fucking Eagles and Jeffrey Lurie, man, that motherfucking punk-ass goddamn cancer patient survivor-looking motherfucker, this fucking punk-ass bitch, he's going to keep riding the ship with that motherfucker. He's going to keep jacking him off and sucking his fucking dick. See, I don't fucking understand this shit with the Eagles, dog. It's like, nigga, you know what the problem is. And this is why the Eagles always suck dick. This is why they're always mediocre as fuck. You know what the problem is, but you failed to address the fucking problem. Oh, nigga, I need to chill. Nah, bitch, you chill up on my fucking dick, nigga. <laughs> I'm so sick and tired. <laughs> I, I love him. I love him. He's an Eagles fan. He's a passionate guy. I love eat, eat that pussy 445. But why is he talking about Howie? Why is he talking about Howie? Is he talking about Devontae Freeman? I'm willing to put everything I own on. I don't know. He goes off. He's going off. I'm going to leave him alone tonight. I'm going to leave him alone tonight. Shout out to him. Like him a lot. Respect him a lot. Shout out to him. I tell you something, man. It's not hate. Like, I'm not here to, like, like, hate on people. Like, I'm not here to hate on the Eagles. I'm not, like, I, I talk a lot of shit, man, but I'm not like, oh, man, I hope, like, man, I hope that the Eagles, they suck this year. Or I hope the Giants, they suck this year, or blah, 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 blah. It makes my job easier as a Cowboy fan, for sure, when they're, when they're terrible, but it's not like I'm out here being like, man, I hope Eagle fans, they never win shit, and they never will be shit. And No, I'm not like that. Not about that. I do talk shit, but it's all like, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm out here for, like, two hours just fucking around. Like, I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not here to, like, be malicious. I'm, I'm, I'm not Dave Chappelle, but I am kind of here to 
just be funny and give opinions and stuff like that, and we're going to peace out, you know? Like, like, that's it. It's not that deep. It's not like I'm out here trying to, you know, fr- like Wu-Tang Clan, like, trying to be like, protect your neck. I'm like, no, I'm not. Not out here trying to cause harm. Hope he's doing okay. Hopefully the Eagles don't make him have a fucking stroke this year. Jesus Christ. Anyways. Should I get onto the Carson Wentz stuff? I talked about the Cowboys for over an hour and a half. Should I get on the Carson Wentz stuff? I gotta go fast here. Like, I don't want this to be a long-ass podcast, but I I gotta go fast. You know, let's let's get on the Carson Wentz stuff. Hold on, I got a burp, I think. Kind of. Hold on, let me take a swig. Mm. All right. Actually, before I do that, let me kind of address some of the uh, the games that have been going on for the last like couple of days. And let me talk about my uh, my win loss percentage. Let me talk about my made men. Got a lot of fantastic stuff to talk about here on the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> I got to go all the way back to a couple of days ago. My journal, my 200-page journal that I got like at the start of this year is already filled up. Almost, I think I have... Yeah, I got to go get a journal tomorrow. Like, I'm on page 195 out of 200. So... I got to get a new journal tomorrow. It's how many notes I take. It's how much notes I take. All right. So we'll kind of go game by game, day by day for this week, starting with the Bengals and the Browns. I kind of wrapped it up on Friday. I talked about it just a little bit. By the way, should also have mentioned this. I'll mention this at the end of the podcast. Um, I will not be podcasting Wednesday. I always take breaks on Wednesday, Wednesdays. So um, you're not going to hear from me tomorrow. Unlucky for you, I guess. I don't. I don't know. Um, but um, yeah, the Bengals and the Browns. I picked with my heart over my head. The Browns were obviously a better team, but I really, really liked how Joe Burrow played in the uh, in that last game against the Chargers. That was bad. The Chargers. I can't do the Boston accent today. I can't do it. I don't know why. I haven't been able to do it for like the last couple of days. But yeah, um, I, th- I thought that he had played a really, really solid game against the Chargers. And that's why I picked him to beat the Bengals. It, um, it, they didn't. Bears versus Browns. My guy, Daniel Jones, had a fantastic game against the, uh, the, the not the Bears versus the Browns, Giants versus the, uh, the Bears. He had a fantastic game. Um, considering that his star offensive player, Saquon Barkley, was out. And I don't know who his left tackles are. And I mean, can you, like he had more, Holy smokes, he had more freaking yards than Deion Lewis did. Uh, his second tier, his second running back. Um, like, I think all of that, more rushing yards, not more yards, just more rushing yards. I think he had, I think, I think Daniel Jones, if you give him a good team, he can be a better quarterback for you. But, um, you know, Saquon being out is a problem. I mean, they've, they're gonna, they're, they're probably gonna draft in the top five, maybe top 10 again. They're gonna be a bad team this year, but, I really, really like. I really, really like him. I really, really like Daniel Jones. I think he's a good quarterback. He's one of my guys. He's one of my made men. 
Mitchell Trubisky is not, not yet. Rams versus Eagles. I picked, uh, oh yeah, I forgot to mention my picks and stuff like that. Bears versus the Giants. I picked the Bears. Rams versus the Eagles. I picked the Rams. I mean, it was a blowout. It was disgusting. 37 and 19. We'll talk about Carson Wentz in a couple of minutes. But um, holy smokes, Jared Goff, once again, fantastic game, 20 of 27, 267 yards, three touchdowns, whereas Carson Wentz, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, 26 of 43, 242 yards, barely above 60%. He was god-awful in that game. God-awful. I'll talk about him in a second, in a couple of minutes. Jets versus Niners. Uh, same thing goes with Sam Darnold. The the darlings of the NFL, Sam Darnold, Carson Wentz, the guys that uh, that Colin Cowherd always predict, not predicts, but protects instead of letting them go out in the wild and hunt like Dak Prescott. <clears throat> Both of them were atrocious on Sunday, and considering that the 49ers didn't even have their best player in freaking Nick Bosa, it's a surprise that Sam Darnold was still god-awful. 21 of 32, but check this out, 179 yards of one touchdown. At least he didn't throw a bunch of interceptions. His team lost by 28 points, though. Not 20, Is it 28 points? Yeah, 28 points, 31 to 13. No, 18 points, my bad. I was like, that doesn't look right, 21 to 13, or 31 to 13. My TV just went dark. Okay. Then it popped back up. I was like, why is my TV dark? Like, I should be watching the Cowboys versus the Falcons right now. I don't know why it's dark. Hold on. Let me plug in my computers first. I apologize. Hold on. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Anyways, I was talking about the, Bron- uh, not the Broncos, the 49ers and the Jets and how freaking Sam Darnold had played atrociously, just like Carson Wentz did. I picked the 49ers in that game, and I was correct once again. Uh, Falcons versus Cowboys. Obviously, I picked the Cowboys. I was spazzing out. I was freaking out. I was like, they should be able to destroy the Falcons. They kind of did, but it was off of, like, five turnovers. Like, they had a bad game overall. There was some really, really bad stuff that they... Maybe not overall, but they had some bad things that they did, um, including the extra... The the fake punts, the, um, the, the, the fumbles things of that nature like they need to clean that stuff up but defensively I kind of liked what they did in some stretches where they were able to hold the they, they held the Falcons scoreless in the third quarter nobody talks about that at all by the way and um, I love what they did on offense scoring very very quickly and early and often and I mean that's what that's what you're gonna have to do against Seattle please do that against Seattle if you do that against Seattle if you can guarantee me that Dallas is going to play fast against Seattle I think I can guarantee you a win I think I can guarantee you a win because they're not going to play like that slow tempo pace that Cam Newton was playing. They are going to score and they are going to score often. And those corners against uh, those dudes on Dallas, it's like, yep, I will take Dallas every single day. Even with Jamal, he was in the box a lot. But guess what? You run play action, you chip with Ezekiel Elliott, you get that ball down the field against Shaquem or Shaquille Griffin or CeeDee Lamb running up the seams. Deuces, Jamal Adams was terrible in coverage as predicted because he is not a covered safety. Moving on. Um, Panthers versus Bucks. I had the Bucks winning it, and they did 31-17. I mean, again, I'm on fire this weekend, ladies, or I was on fire this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. I really only should have lost one game, and that was the Colts versus the Vikings because I didn't see it coming. But I did see the Broncos and the Steelers coming from a mile away, 26-21 to Steelers. Picked the Steelers, won that game. Titans versus Jaguars. I'm starting to sweat. Picking against Gardner Minshew, I'm not going to lie to you. This is twice in a row 
in the last two weeks where I'm like, man, that game was kind of close to to uh, to going and swinging to Gardner Minshew's way. 33-30. to 30. Titans barely won it. Packers absolutely destroyed the Lions, 42-21. to 21. Bills um, almost lost to the Dolphins. Let me see the, uh, the split, the quarter split. Oh, okay, a lot of garbage time numbers. Oh, no, not really. I mean, the Bills, they had 14 points in the fourth quarter, and the Dolphins had 15. So it was actually kind of a competitive game, actually. And then you have the Colts and the Vikings. Hey, Vikings, great job letting me down. Don't worry, I'll talk about the Vikings and the, uh, and the wide receivers here in a couple of minutes. But, um, freaking, I shouldn't have picked the Vikings. Well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't see the Vikings losing from a mile away. But yeah, the, uh, the Vikings, they lost badly. Kirk Cousins played horrifyingly bad. I think he had three interceptions. Yep, he did. I think two were off of deflections, but I mean, he, he had a horrible game overall. He has like the worst passer rating in the NFL. Um, yeah, like he, I think his passer rating is at like 11, which is impossible, by the way. Washington lost to the Cardinals, what a surprise, 15-30. to Ravens lost to the Texans, what a surprise, 33-16. to Chiefs barely beat the Chargers, that's a surprise. Justin Herbert, I'll talk about him in a couple of minutes, 23-20. Uh, to Patriots, they lost to Seattle, predicted that game, by the way, 35-30. to And Saints, in an upset, lost to the Raiders, 24-34. to All right, my score, by the way, for week two was 13 wins, thir- uh, three losses. If you didn't keep up, my win percentage was the exact same as last week because the wins and the losses were the exact same as last week. Um, 81.25%, and obviously my overall record is 81.25%. Ladies and gentlemen. Wish it was a little bit better, but also it could be worse. I mean, have you seen some of these people in their picks? It's like, Jesus Christ, like, some of their picks are... <sighs> yikes. <laughs> I'm like, yikes, man. Easy money for a G out here, like, 24. So, <clears throat> what a surprise. The two guys that everybody has to make excuses for every single weekend are now going to have to have more excuses be made up for them today, or technically last week, or not last week, but um, yesterday, excuse me, because of how much they sucked. Let's get into the first one, Carson Wentz. Let me make sure I have the right quote here. Let me just make sure. I'm kind of going through my notes. I'm like, wow, I talked about pretty much everything that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, okay, it's just, I'm like, I'm checking my notes. It's like, oh, wow, I just went through a lot of my notes. I went, I, you know, I talked about a lot of the stuff that I wanted to talk about. Hold on, let me find it. Let me find how I, um, how I first wanted to start off. Here we go. So, <clears throat> you know, everybody's been talking about Carson Wentz and, you know, um, Carson Wentz and how good he is as a football player and all that good stuff and how fantastic he is and blah, 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 and how he cannot do no wrong, right? He cannot do any wrong. He is a fantastic football player. You can't blame him, 24. He's the reason why they why they were successful. Look at what Max Kellerman had to say on first take today about Carson Wentz. Check this out. 
However, what was I saying last year? What was I hearing? That Carson Wentz's relationship with who? With Lurie, the owner of the team, was strong enough that players are scared to run afoul of Carson Wentz. What makes you think that's not true of Peterson, too? What, like, don't forget, Peterson had an OC he liked, gone. That wasn't his choice. Lurie is making, making choices way above the head coach's head. This is not a, a head coach empowered to choose his own staff like a lot of head coaches are, particularly if it's, it's Super Bowl pedigree. Now, Lurie may think, hey, wait a minute. Um, did he want Nick Foles to begin with? Like, I've made some choices and put pressure, brought pressure to bear that have helped the team, as like George Steinbrenner once did with Yankees, right? Like, that Reggie Jackson cleanup. Billy Martin didn't want to do it. Just bad and clean up. I mean, it was the right move. Sometimes a meddling owner can do the right thing. But overall, if the owner is meddling, if the head coach feels he doesn't really have control, if the star player feels like he has a direct line to the owner and a better relationship with the owner than the head coach, good luck getting that star player to run the head coach's plays, right? So normally I would agree with you. This time I don't. This time it's on Carson Wentz. He has been empowered, whether by the head coach or by what he perceives his relationships are with people above the head coach or whatever it is, his own moxie, to change plays at the line of scrimmage, to do whatever he wants to do, and it's met with disastrous consequences. He forces things, and from what I hear... From sources I trust, one in particular, Carson Wentz is going to do what he wants to do. Good luck getting him to change that. It's not that he doesn't work hard. It's not that he's not tough. It's not that he's stupid or anything like that. None of the, But he has a lot of control in terms of what he actually does. Stephen A., that goes beyond the head coach, but I'll tell you this. If you're Carson Wentz right now and you're playing this poorly – and they have Jalen Hurts in the fold. They used a second-round pick on him. Is that just for depth at the backup quarterback spot? Can't you find depth a better way? If I were Carson Wentz, I would start reading the writings on the wall and think maybe it's time to trust Coach a little bit more. Well, so um, the last part I, I don't think is going to happen, and I'll kind of talk about that a little, uh, a little bit later on. But what he said for the most part about how Carson Wentz is getting it from the owner. I didn't hear that at all because I haven't watched like first take consistently for almost like two years now. But I, you know, I see clips here and there and stuff like that. And I'm like, I watched, I think this is like the first time that I watched like a clip of them in like a couple of months. But yeah, I, I watched them on and off. Like their clips, not the actual full show, right? <clears throat> so what Max Kellerman is essentially talking about is essentially the stuff that I've kind of felt, maybe not known, but felt for the last couple of years in the sense of, Carson Wentz is very spoiled, right? In the sense of, he probably wanted Nelson Aguilar gone. He's like, get him up, get him out. I want him gone. He had issues with leadership in 2018 after the Super Bowl, uh, after the Super Bowl win, and everybody was like, well, we kind of want him out. We love Nick Foles, things of that nature. Hold on, I got a burp. Excuse me. They wanted Nick Foles. They didn't want Carson Wentz. People were talking about how he's hard to deal with. People were also talking about how apparently he would change the play or more specifically just go straight to Zach Ertz instead of the open man and he would look for Zach Ertz over everybody else. Which is why I'm like, I kind of believe Max Kellerman when he's like, he's not running the coach's plays because it's, you know, it's it's been mentioned before and how he wants his own guys, and how they brought in um, Matthews. I forgot this, uh, th- This I think his name was Jordan Matthews, 
uh, when he was cut by the Patriots because that's that was one of Carson Wentz's guys and they had used him a lot more and they had tried to get him more involved and things of that nature, right? That's what teams do. They do bring in help from quarterbacks, but that for um, not help um, for quarterbacks, but specifically guys that have good rapport with quarterbacks because like um, like that's just something that they do. Like Dallas brought in Bryce Butler, but Bryce Butler didn't, for example, suit up in some of the games that they played in, I think, 2018. Like, and they, they didn't have, and this was before they traded for Amari Cooper. You would think, and they traded away, not traded, but they released Des Bryant. You would think that they would be like, hey, um, we kind of need a number one wide receiver. And it seems like Bryce Butler had a lot of rapport with Dak, and they were like, he's not even going to suit up, right? They suited up Jordan Matthews. I don't even know if he's in the league anymore. But yes, I've heard this before. I've heard, you know, the notion that Carson Wentz is hard to work with, that he does go, that he does change the play at the line of scrimmage, and that he does do those types of things. I've heard it before. Let's continue forward, right? So Max, he was talking about it. He was talking about, you know, how like, hey, you know, people are... People aren't, like, people kind of feel afraid to kind of go against Carson Wentz because of his relationship with the owner. Hmm. I wonder if that sounds familiar. Maybe not for the Eagles, but to the Dallas Cowboys. And how one quarterback was very familiar with the owner and Jerry Jones and went to a bunch of his banquets and meetings. I'm not talking about Dak. I'm talking about the quarterback for Dak. Treated like a son. I'm talking about Tony Romo, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Talking about how Tony Romo was very friendly with Jerry and things of that nature, and that caused a lot of problems within the organization, a lot of, you know, rose-colored tinted glasses and things of that nature, and not just straight-up professionalism and business-like savvy, business savvy and things of that nature. Like, they gave him a contract extension after an 8-8 eight and eight season, but they're like, eh, Dak Prescott, we won't do it. Dak's way better than Tony, by the way. Confirmed. Confirmed. Easily confirmed. But, um... Let's continue forward with listening to some of these uh, journalists talk about how Carson Wentz is kind of ostracizing himself and other players from uh, being able to communicate with, um, not even even to being able to communicate, but how he is essentially starting to be ostracized from some of the players in the locker room. Let's let's listen. Let's listen to um, Sal P. I can't say his, his last name has three syllables in it. I think he's a Philly reporter for ESPN. So he knows his stuff. Absolutely. He's going to sound quiet, but it's it's the best I can do. Carson Wentz. And, you know, you look at him, his footwork is way off. His throws are way off. As as, as, uh, as, as been pointed out by ESPN Stats and Information, which I think is a very telling number. And, it, and, and when you look at it in the eye test and you just watch film, he's got 20 off-target throws, most in the NFL. 15 of those 20 off-target throws are in a clean pocket. Can't blame that one on his offensive line. If you couldn't tell what he said, if you couldn't hear what he said, he said that Carson Wentz had 20 off-target throws, 15 of which were in a clean pocket. Hmm. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. Interesting. Isn't it funny how, um, you know what, I have this other uh, Colin Cowherd clip have another one. I was going to save it for a really, really long time. I was going to save it. Let me listen. Let, let, me, let me play you this clip of how he said 
that the GM, the owner, the head coach, and the quarterback were all better than Dallas. And how the Eagles are going to go to the playoffs. This is September 10th, I think this came out. So this is a good two weeks ago. This is when he said this mess. He said Carson Wentz is going to win the NFC East. And he has the better coach, owner, GM. Meanwhile, EDP 445 is freaking having a tear right now about the GM, the coach. It's either the coach or the quarterback. And the owner is apparently in bed with the quarterback. Let's listen to what Colin Cowherd had to say about the the uh, the, the top four, or his, his boar four. I don't know what they're called. Fun, fluff, fireworks. I don't get it. So what are the seven things, since I've been doing this show for 20 years, the seven things that matter in the NFL? Now, I've always said my core four. Core four. That's what he calls them. The core four. Owner, GM, coach, quarterback. Let's add three more. O-line, D-line. You can't win if you're bad in the trenches. And weapons. Weapons matters now. It's a passing league more than a running league. Weapons matter. I used to not be as big on weapons, but they do matter. That's why New England deteriorated last year. Their weapons were awful. The seven things that matter. Let's line up Philadelphia and Dallas. Okay. Owner. I'm not into Vane owns more creative. They both have a Super Bowl, but he's more creative than McCarthy. And I do think create. So he, he like the, the clip kind of skips, but he said, but the owner and the GM are better than Dallas. The coach he is better than Mike McCarthy. And then he's going to go on to Carson Wentz. I don't know why the clip skips, but it does. Sorry. But he is. It skips again. Uh, quarterback. We watched at the end of last year with deck chairs and lawn furniture. Carson Wentz beat Dak with all sorts of weapons. Offensive weapons, that's Dallas, clearly. Great wide receiving court. Tremendous. That is Dallas plus Zeke. A defensive line, I'll take Philly Fletcher Cox. Offensive line should be noted, neither as is good as they were two to three years ago. Um, Travis Frederick's a big loss at center for the Cowboys. Tyron Smith doesn't feel like a 16-game left tackle. Slight edge to Dallas. That's five to two, folks, and the seven things that matter. Dallas reminds me of a house with a plumbing issue. And the owners tried to solve it. O-line, D-line, and some weapons. Philadelphia is the best team. They were last year overcoming massive injuries. It's going to be a very disappointing year in the state of Texas. Here's Joy Taylor. Hmm. Interesting. My team is 1-1. One and one. The Eagles are 0-2. Losing to Washington, which I accurately predicted. And to the Rams, horribly, I might add. Carson Wentz, let me show you his numbers here. And by the way, I'm not even done with that clip. I'm just, you know, on a heater right now. So I'm like, let me just, uh, let me just do this. Let me just show you his numbers here. Carson Wentz has four interceptions, two touchdowns, and he only has 500 yards within the first two games in the season. I mean, you know, the good thing is is that his completion percentage is actually going up, you know, from like 57%, which is below average, to about average in the NFL. 60%. But, oh, wait, check this shit out. Don't I have the Eagles schedule somewhere? Check this out. I got the Bengals versus the Eagles on Sunday. Right? This Sunday. And then on Sunday night, first weekend in October... Eagles against the uh, the 49ers, then Eagles against the Steelers, then Eagles against the Ravens, and then Eagles against the Giants, and then Eagles against the Cowboys. That's what they have to face off against in the next six weeks. So, 
Essentially, I count probably four losses, maybe five, in the next six weeks. Niners, Ravens, Steelers, Cowboys. With an upset, and yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil my own predictions for this weekend. I'm going to pick the Bengals to beat the Eagles. I love Joe Burrow. I love what he's done. He's not a guy that I have to make a lot of excuses for. A lot of people have to make a ton of excuses for Carson Wentz. But let's continue with that clip. Where is that clip? He was talking about the Eagles players, right? He was talking about how, you know, how... Not the Eagles players, excuse me. He was talking about how Carson Wentz in 20 missed passes, 15 of them were in clean pockets. I'm watching Dak Prescott right now on my television. Do you want to know what happens when he has a clean pocket? He slices them up. He finds a way to throw to the open man down the field, and when I tell you that he slices them up, he slices them up like a butcher slices up sausage in a butcher shop or salami. I don't I don't know the proper analogy, but a butcher would slice up a piece of meat. He would fillet a steak. That's what Dak Prescott is doing right now to the Atlanta Falcons. When they give him the time that he needs, and trust me, the Seattle Seahawks, if they don't rush five or if they don't use Jamal Adams and if they give him that that time and Dak will account for blitzes, he'll give him that hard count, he'll get Jamal Adams leaning, he'll see, oh, Jamal's leaning, he's creeping, check, 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 hey, we're, I'm going to audible, bang, we're going to get, we're going to run play action with Zeke, Zeke, get out there, get Jamal Adams, I see you, Michael Gallup, I see you, C.D. Lamb, I see you, Amari Cooper, by the way, Dak Prescott does not have an interception in the first two weeks of the season. And he has thrown, God knows how, he's thrown easily over 70 attempts, which is insane. Meanwhile, Carson Wentz, yes, four. But let's continue forward with, you know, with this um, Philadelphia Eagles reporter talking about Carson Wentz. Not under pressure, not under duress. So there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there with his mechanics and with his accuracy and then his decision-making, right? I mean... I mean, Key, the thing I learned most from Bill Parcells about the quarterback position, and I, I sat in his office for many, many times, was that the job of the quarterback is to do two things. Get the team in the end zone and win the football game. That's it. Those two things. And he throws that interception on first and ten in the third quarter when he marches downfield. And that throw was late. That throw was in double team. His J.J. Arcega-Whiteside was being double-covered. And that was a poor decision. And here's the thing, you know, a lot because I'm not allowed in the locker room this year, I rely a lot on what I see on the field pre and post snap. What's the dynamics going on? And it's important to really watch carefully. And when Carson Wentz came off the field, no one talked to him. When he came to the bench, hmm. There was no patting him on the helmet. Uh, yo, dog, we're going to get you next time. Don't worry about it. We got you back. But don't, there was none of that. There was no chatter. There was no conversation. There was no interaction with him until he went to one of the coaches and got the tablet to look at the play. And that was very telling to me. You know what that means, Sal? That means that they're getting and growing tired with Carson Wentz at the quarterback spot. And with that being said – the offensive line obviously hasn't played up to snuff. Okay, I'm done. Like, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not gonna play any more of that. He literally just said, 
20 attempts, 20 off-target throws, 15 of them are in clean pockets. It's literally, and this is on ESPN, by the way, it's like he's literally like, the offensive line has not played up to snuff, and then the guy, the reporter actually says, he has missed 15 targets in clean pockets. It's like, I, yikes. But the point that the journalist made, the reporter made, is sound, right? Because this isn't the first time that we've heard issues in the locker room with Carson Wentz. There is literally an expose written about Carson Wentz and how he's not a leader and how people in the locker room wanted Nick Foles as the quarterback and not Carson Wentz. Two years ago, in January. I think a couple of weeks after they won the Super Bowl. Did I say two weeks ago? I meant two years ago. And I think maybe not one after they won the Super Bowl. Um, oh, no, it was, I think. I think it was. They were like, we would prefer Nick Foles over Carson Wentz. We like Nick Foles. I think they thought, they thought he was a better leader. They wanted to keep him, and they did for another year. And then Carson Wentz got hurt again, and guess what? Nick Foles won them more games, and, they, and he freaking let him down the football field, and they won another, uh, another playoff game. Almost beat the Saints. I think. Did they play up against the Saints? I think they did. So he's not gelling well with his teammates. He's not completing passes that he needs to complete. Let me play you the nail in the coffin, ladies and gentlemen. Let me play you a really, really nice clip. Talking about Carson Wentz's passer rating, ladies and gentlemen. Where do you think he ranks passer rating-wise in the NFL? Where do you think he ranks? She's going to tell you. Serious concerns about that offense. Their defense has been good enough. They rank ninth in total defense, but that offense is 27th. And Carson Wentz, his passer rating, it's 33rd in the NFL. Yes, there are only 32 starting quarterbacks. That includes both quarterbacks starting for the Chargers have been better than Carson Wentz has been this year. He has not been good. Two touchdowns, four interceptions so far. He has to be better. And I realize, look, when you look at that team – I don't like the talent that he has working with him. I've said that. I thought they should have gone out and added some other pieces. He's got two really good tight ends, and what else? I don't see a whole lot there that scares me on offense, but he's still got to go out and make plays and be special if this team is going to win. Didn't I say that all all year? I said I even like gave out a roadmap, right? I gave out a roadmap. I said, and, and I love how Colin, he's like, you know, uh, the the Eagles, they're the better team. They got the better GM. They got all these players, blah, blah, blah. Right? Remember all that mess? Remember how he was talking about, you know, better GM, better head coach, better quarterback, all that good stuff. Remember all that? Remember all that? Because I remember it because he, I, I just played it. It's like, how do you not, how do you not remember that? Literally just played it for you. I remember all that mess. I remember... Um, I, I, re- I remember him saying, I mean, technically, I, I don't even need to remember. He literally just said it. I apologize for repeating myself again. The point that I'm trying to make here is this, right? Howie Roseman could have traded for Stefan Diggs. First round draft pick, he's like, pass. First round and a second or a third. I, I can't remember the exact trade deals, but I was like, but he's like, pass. I'm not going to do it. 
could have traded for DeAndre Hopkins, a second round draft pick and a fifth, whatever the Arizona Cardinals wanted, you should have trade. You, you should have taken it, right? They were like, pass. Whatever, not the Arizona Cardinals, excuse me, the Houston Texans, whatever they wanted, you should have traded for them. They were like, pass. Not going to do it. It's like Odell, uh, not Odell, Antonio Brown, they're like, pass. Um, uh, C.D. Lamb, pass. Justin Jefferson, pass. Right? And when I heard that and when I saw that, I was like, everybody's predicting, the, every analyst, every pundit, every person with a microphone, including myself, Maybe not, well, not including myself, but every, every person with, like, a talk show is like, the Eagles are going to beat the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm like, with what weapons? How are they going to beat them? And then, they, and then people justified it by saying, well, oh, they went 4-0 against the worst teams in the NFL, right? Because everybody talks about, you know, oh, my God, you know, the NFC sucks. And it's like, well, if they suck, why would you validate so strongly the games that he won against the NFC East? He lost to Miami last season. He lost against Miami last season, ladies and gentlemen. And the same thing that they did to Dallas and Dak Prescott by not validating, not even the same thing. They did the reverse of what they did to Dak Prescott. They said, hey, you know, um, we're just going to do whatever we want. We're not going to validate his wins against worse, terrible teams. But Carson Wentz, we will validate him because we like him. I'm like, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. You're going to validate his wins? You're not going to validate Dak Prescott's wins? Okay. And now look at them. Now look at them. They got to they got to be like, "Well, you know, we can't figure out why Carson Wentz sucks. I'll tell you why he sucks. I'll tell you why right now. Because he's like Jay Cutler. Ladies and gentlemen. I used to be a Chicago Bears fan before I was a Dallas Cowboy fan, and the reason why was because uh, I loved Walter Payton as a football player. I thought he was the greatest football player of all time. I still think he is one of the greatest football players of all time. God rest his soul, but it's Tom Brady. I fell in love with Tom Brady, which is why I'm a huge supporter of New, of the New England Patriots and why I constantly talk about Tom Brady. I never let my biases of Tom Brady hide. I always say I'm a fan of Tom Brady. I'm a big supporter. Love him. It's why I was such a big supporter of New England. It's why I still am a big supporter of New England. But... Jay Cutler was a very talented, lethargic, not... Hold on. Shannon Sharp broke it down perfectly. Perfectly. I mean, I got a... Nobody, and I mean nobody, could articulate who Jay Cutler was as a football player better than Shannon Sharp. Let me put it up. Let me put it up. Hold on. <clears throat> here we go, here we go, here we go. And he's ironically on Colin's show. This is four years ago before before the um before Undisputed happened. Check this out. He's gonna talk about Jay Cutler here. And Shannon absolutely hits the nail on the head. I'll talk about how what Shannon says relates to Carson Wentz. And then we'll continue forward from here. My too hard on Jay Cutler. I no. I watch Jameis Winston and Derek Carr, and they you are. You can't win with him. You can't win with him. You can't. And everybody keeps telling you know keeps talking about well he's had four or five different o- offensive coordinators because they keep getting them fired, or they keep quitting. You can't. You can't win with him. How much body of work do you need to see? He's been in the league ten or eleven years. He is what he is. What you get is a petulant, 
a, a non-energetic, lethargic guy that has a big arm who's supremely arm-talented but lacks discipline, lacks focus, and he doesn't motivate me to want to go out there and play at my all-time best for him. It's incredible. I'm watching Carr, and I'm watching Jameis Winston. You'd want to play with them. Absolutely. Like, like during the game, talking, rallying, mm-hmm. if, if Jay Cutler isn't involved in the play, you ever notice every t- time they take a shot, he's on the bench by himself. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't – he's a quarterback. He's not a leader. That's right. He doesn't, he doesn't motivate guys. Guys do not rally around him. Now, his teammates will all say the, 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 the right thing when they're, when they're there. They'll, oh, he's great. Jay works hard. He gets a b- bad rap. But they can't wait to get away from there because they know they're not going to win anything with him as long as they are there. Um, he is what he is now. Yep, yep you're you right. Know? It's been established. Yes. So, you know, oh, man, look at his arm. He can throw the ball, you know. His rookie year, he comes in and says, well, I have a better arm than Elway. So there are a lot of guys that had better arms. There are a lot of guys that had worse arms. At the end of the day, can you win? Look at his record. Look at his resume. You are what your resume say you are. He didn't win in college, and he doesn't win in the NFL. So how many playoff games have he gone to? One, and then he got hurt in the the, uh, championship game, and he was riding stationary bike. And then the next day, he's walking down the street or Rodeo Drive or something. So he's a guy I would not want to play with. Um, um, I was very fortunate, and you, you sometimes, Colin, you take for granted when you play with a great player because the way they throw the ball and all the little nuances of what they do, and then when you play with other guys, and you realize it, it's very few chances that you're going to go from, like Jerry went from Joe Montana to Steve Young. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. <laughs> or the guys in Green Bay go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. Doesn't happen. No. Um, but playing with John and, and just seeing Cutler, I've never played with him, but just seeing his, his mannerisms. He and I would have a problem. I, I would have a problem being a teammate with him because I, I just don't see the passion. I don't see the fire. And you're only as good as the top guy has to be as invested as the bottom guy. And I don't know if the, the passion, the fire, the desire to be great is there. Fantastic quote by Shannon Sharp. Fantastic line by Shannon Sharp. So much to unpack, but so much truth was spoken there. Gets hurt all the time. Some of it, it's not his fault. The fact that all of it isn't his fault. Gets hurt. Teammates don't rally around him. You saw, like, I'm, I'm watching I'm watching the Dallas Cowboy. Let me, let me rewind this. Where's my remote? I'm watching the, um, the Dallas Cowboy game. I'm watching the Dallas Cowboy game right now. I'm watching Dak Prescott, by the way, he comes off the football field, and this is after he gets after he has to go into concussion protocol because uh, they think he he has a concussion. So Dallas tries to run the football with Zeke. Zeke, uh, you know, he he he's down, and Dak's gonna quarterback sneak it right here. They're going in a big boy formation. Antoine Woods, a defensive tackle, is in at fullback right now because they're like, we don't really need a fullback. We can kind of just we have guys that are humongous. I mean, we have a D tackle that can essentially be our fullback here, and that's what we're gonna do. And in, in fact, Antoine Woods is gonna help out Dak Prescott a lot and push him into the back of the end zone. And I mean, like. You after the play, what happens is very interesting. It's very interesting when you look at the um, the body language of all the players of the Dallas Cowboys. Let me take a swig of my Gatorade. I'm almost done drinking this thing. 
It's very interesting. <clears throat> First and foremost, how many players Dak, Dak, Dak Prescott up when he stands up? First and foremost, by the way, Dak actually helps out Dalton Schultz off the ground. And he daps up, and everybody's dapping up Dak Prescott. I mean, they're they're down 23 to 29 right now, so the body language isn't like it's it's not necessarily like you want to celebrate a lot here. But it's noticeable because even when they're down, they're still like, hey, hey, great job, Dak. We got and it's what that reporter, that ESPN reporter was talking about, where, you know, guys aren't talking to Dak or guys aren't talking to Carson Wentz. They're not dapping him up. They're they're not saying, hey, you know, Carson, we got you on the next play. It's not like that at all. Or exact excuse me, it is like that in Dallas where everybody's talking to Dak, they're dap they're dapping up Dak, even when they're down, they're saying, Hey, good job, Dak. They're congratulating each other. Even Zeke went over to Antoine Woods, a defensive tackle, and was like, Hey, good job. Even even a a a, a, um, a backup offensive lineman who's coming in on special teams, he even makes sure when he's jogging out onto the football field, do you wanna know what he does? Daps up Dak Prescott. There he is. And do you wanna know what Dak Prescott does, interestingly enough? When he gets up and he scores the touchdown, do you want to know who he's trying to give the football to? Antoine Woods. Antoine Woods is saying, you know, I don't want it. And Dak's like, you know, I'll take it for you. Now, there's camaraderie there. There's, there's, there's togetherness there. And do you want to know what happens when Dak Prescott comes off the football field? Every single player in the vicinity comes over to where he is, daps him up, says, hey, good job, Dak. Way to play. Everybody. Everybody daps him up. The coaches, the players, everybody loves them. They're down, but they still have the 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 uh, awareness to be like, "Hey, that's our quarterback. That's the guy that's gonna that's gonna go out for us. That's the guy that's gonna help us win. That's the guy that's going to help us be great, ladies and gentlemen." And and I mean, when when Dallas wins this football game, I can't tell you how many Dallas Cowboys come over to Dak Prescott and give him some some love. On top of giving Zerline some loves because he actually won them the football game. I mean, Zeke was over there. He was hugging him. He was dapping up Dak. He was hitting them hard in the head. Maybe not hard, but he, he was. They were smiling. They were hugging Dak and Zeke. They know how important this game is. Right. This is just, you know, uh, this is just to get them within a one-score game. Right? They've been down all game. They've been down all game, ladies and gentlemen, up until this point. And they still have the, the ability to be like, "Yep, let's like that's our quarterback. That's Dak Prescott. Let's dap him up. A defensive tackle." Playing fullback is like, I got to dap up, got to give him some love, got to give him some skin. Good job, Dak. An offensive lineman coming on to the football field as a special teams player is like, let me dap up Dak and Antoine Woods. He's Jay Cutler, ladies and gentlemen. He is Jay Cutler. Dudes aren't wanting to hang out with him. Dudes aren't wanting... How do you... How do you expect him to have rapport with his teammates on the football field when he's throwing the football. I'm talking about Carson Wentz now, by the way, if you didn't pick up on what I'm putting down. I'm talking about Carson Wentz here, ladies and gentlemen. How is he supposed to have rapport with his teammates? 
Let me pull up an interesting statistic for you. Where is it? God damn it, I gotta go on ESPN's site again. Here it is. Let me pull up this interesting statistic for you. I know. Where is it? Here it is. Please don't play anything. Please don't play an ad. ESPN. Okay. Boom. Here we go. Again, right? When we're talking about ball distribution to different wide receivers, even to the tight end, again, he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven dudes all have over 10 yards. Against the Falcons, ladies and gentlemen. Let me look up Carson Wentz's numbers. As my Google page takes forever to load. If my Google... Okay, here it is. Finally. Let me look up the Eagles on ESPN. Let me check out Carson Wentz's box score. Hmm. Where? Let me look up the Los Angeles game. Oh, no. I looked up the team. I didn't look up the game. My bad. Oh, wait. Here it is. All right. Here we go. Carson Wentz, Dak had seven different receivers go for over 10 yards, right? Carson Wentz, I think he has the exact same. One, two, three, four, five, six. But look at the difference and look at the amount of targets, ladies and gentlemen. Deshaun Jackson, nine targets, six receptions, 64 yards. He's cooking. Zach Ertz, seven targets, five receptions, 42 yards? Huh? What? Jalen Rager was four for four for 41 yards. Miles Sanders was seven for three? What? For 36 yards? Huh? What? Dallas Goddard, the backup tight end, the dude that I, I wanted, the guy that I felt like should be in Dallas, he's eight for four? What? For 30 yards? What? Boston Scott, that running back that everybody was talking about? Oh my God, three for three. Greg Ward, the guy that everybody was like, "Whoa, he's a he's a killer. He's a he's Carson Wentz's guy. One for one for five yards." JJ Arcega, Whiteside, two targets, zero receptions. Hmm. All of that combined for two hundred and forty-two yards. By the way, I should also mention yards per target, or not yards per target, yards per catch. The highest was 12.0, which was Miles Sanders, the running back, and the reason for that was because he was probably dumping it out in the flat, and Miles Sanders had a lot of space because he was the underneath man, and he took it up, took it up the, um, took it up, not took it up, oh my god, um, but just ran it up because he had a lot of room to run. Should have said that, sorry. Dallas against the Dallas Cow, uh, not Dallas against the Dallas Cowboys. The highest yards per target, or yards per catch for any wide receiver was Michael Gallup for 29.0. Carson Wentz's average yards, and this is just his average yards per catch instead of the average, not the average, uh, oh yeah, not the average, but like the highest yards per catch for his wide receivers. 
Carson Wentz's just average yards per catch was 5.6. Dax was like 9. Where is it? I have so many tabs. Where is that? Here it is. Uh, yeah, it was 9.6. All right. More targets for Dax receivers. How many times? Oh, no. Carson went through it four less times than Dax. More targets. More catches. More yards. Better accuracy. He was 70%. He was balling, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely balling. His team trusted him. His defense trusted him. His coaches said, Dak Prescott, we're not going to interfere. We're not going to be Jason Garrett. We're not going to be the old regime. We screwed ourselves. We screwed you. We won't screw you anymore, Dak. It's your game. Have a game. Dak Prescott finally, for the first time in his career, did the Kobe Bryant thing where he flicked his hands to the side and said, get the hell out of my way. I'm going to bail you guys out, but you got to get out of my way. Coaching staff, let me operate. Let me be great. I'm Dak Prescott. I can bail you out. And they said, Dak, we won't interfere any longer. And what happened? What happened? 450 yards, one touchdown through the air, four, or excuse me, three on the ground, three, 34 for 47. He was 70% from the field, which is exactly the, uh, the, the completion percentage that Drew Brees has, except Drew Brees doesn't throw down the football field anymore. Dak did. But let's let's defend Carson Wentz. Let's defend Carson Wentz, even though he's indefensible. You may ask me, and check this shit out. Check this shit out. Do you want to know how many times he was sacked in that Eagles game? With um, with no Brandon Brooks, with Jason Peters um, not being uh, being the left tackle, which is bad, really bad. I think his left guard was out, his right tackle. Uh, Lane Johnson, I don't know if he was out or if he was just um, gone for a week. I don't know. I want to know how many times he was sacked in that game? Zero. He was sacked. He was sacked zero times in that game. As a matter of fact, Jared Goff was sacked more than Carson Wentz. He was sacked one time. One time. Carson Wentz, zero sacks. His offensive line played terrible, 24. Carson Wentz has the weapons that you would want, right? They got, him the, they got him the speedsters. They got him the burners. He's got the better GM, right? No Stephon Diggs, no DeAndre Hopkins, no CeeDee Lamb, no Justin Jefferson. He's got the tight ends, right? Why doesn't Zach Ertz have, any, have, any, uh, have, have, have more targets, right? He threw the ball 40 times. He hit Dallas Goddard for 50% of his passes. Jesus Christ. I mean, he has the best tight end core in the entire NFL, ladies and gentlemen. The best in the league. Dak Prescott has question marks at tight end. And his backup tight end, his, excuse me, his backup to his backup tight end, I think, had more yards. What, how many yards did Blake Bell have? He had 34. He had six less. No, he had four more yards than Dallas Goddard. On how many targets? How many targets did he have? He had three. He caught two. He had 30 yards. Dallas Goddard had eight. He caught four for 30 yards. Ladies and gentlemen.
I got something for you. I got something for you. I got something for you. Hold on. <clears throat> I got something for you. I want to dedicate this song to all the lovers tonight. This goes out to all the people I that might be the whole world who think that Carson Wentz is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott. To, to all the people who think that Carson Wentz is a better quarterback, that needs a lot of help, he needs more help, he needs another wide receiver, should have gotten more, multiple wide receivers. I said it before. This goes out to everybody who thinks that Carson Wentz is going to win this division. Colin Cowherd, Ryan Clark, who thinks that Dak Prescott is a Honda silo. Ridiculous. Get better takes. Get smarter at football, at analyzing. 20 years in the game, only one year, and I'm already the best. Get on my level. It's going to take you another 20 years to even try to become even on my level, and by that point, you may be retired. I may be in my prime. Until Sunday night. He's gone. I told you last year. I'm telling you again this year. He took his money. He's vacationing in the mountains. He built himself a hut, a hunting house. He's in the deer hunt. He's in the deer tent. He's looking out for deer. He's not at the football games on Sunday. He's in his deer tent and freaking the Scott is in Dallas. Built a football field in his backyard. You know why he built that football field in his backyard? He's got bad intention. Bad intention for the Philadelphia Eagles. Carson Wentz, he's hunting. He's hunting. He's hunting deer. He's not hunting for victory. God, you think you're lonely now? <laughs> Wait until Sunday night. I got the Bengals beating the Eagles. I believe in Joe Burrow. I may be picking more with my heart over my head, but everything points to Carson Wentz is going to get smoked, smoked this weekend, ladies and gentlemen, by the Bengals. I got to pee again. I'll be back, ladies and gentlemen. I don't have to drop bombs, but I got to pee. Ladies and gentlemen, 24's podcast will be back after I take a bathroom break. I want to dedicate this song to all the lovers tonight. And I expect that might be the whole world because everybody needs something or someone to love. When it's cold outside, who are you holding? You know, if 
y'all don't mind, I like to talk about this woman of mine. She's always complaining about me never being at home. But when I'm down, I'm broke. She's telling me about the things that a girlfriend's got, and what she ain't got. And she want me to go out and get them for her, but girl, I can't be in two places at one time. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what Carson Wentz is. Long, long, long gone. Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, God. Absolutely long gone. I mean, I just... I just... I, 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 don't, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Let me look at the, uh, the NBA score here. Lakers are up. Three... Oh, they are down by 11 points. Bottom of the third quarter. Hold on. Bottom of the third quarter. I can't. I can't do it anymore. Excuse me. Sixty-five, seventy-six. They can still make a comeback. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years, rocking my rears. Or what is it? Mama said, "Knock you out." What's the lyrics? Mama said, "Knock you out." Lyrics. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. I'm rocking my peers, putting suckers in fears, making the tears rain down like a monsoon. Listen to the bass go boom, explosions. Overpowering over the competition. I'm towering, wrecking shop when I'm writing these lyrics that'll make you go. Okay, I can't. I can't rap. I can't rap. I don't have the flow of LL Cool J. <clears throat> But he's gone, ladies and gentlemen. He, he's gone. He's taking his money. He's in Wisconsin. He's making money. Anyways. Let me get on these two teams here. Talked about DeAndre Hopkins. Talked about the Stefan Diggs trade, by the way. When it comes to the Eagles. But I didn't talk about those teams and how it relates to the Texans. By the way, ah, damn it, Coop. 
I, I like I I'm talking I'm, I'm I'm watching the game right. It's the first. It's the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. Dak Prescott. I think they just got a big run with Zeke on first down. Let me see it. I think they did. Yeah, um, Zeke, yep, he just got a big run, and I talked about it a little bit earlier with the Cowboys. I talked about how they set up the the pass, the not the pass, but the deep ball with play action with Zeke. They go jumbo, right? Bang. They give it to, uh, to Zeke here, and Zeke is Zeke, so he just runs through a bunch of contact. Uh, I'll talk about Zeke here in a couple of seconds. But they set up, and Zeke is like, Zeke is so tired, he doesn't even do the feed me thing. Like the, you know, the spoon, he doesn't do that anymore. He just gets back into the huddle because he's like, we got to, we got to win. By the way, Dak at this point in the game, it's uh, the start of the the fourth quarter. He's only missed five, five balls. He's about to miss six because Amari Cooper just drops a pass, like a pass, like a routine pass that he should 1000% catch here. But it's play action with Zeke. It's the exact same look. Play action, bang, Coop. Should have caught it, but he doesn't. Anyways, oh yeah, um, let me let me talk about the Zeke comparison. So um, Zeke is Marshawn Lynch, like Marshawn Lynch, love him. He's one of I mean he reps two two four hard man. Great running back, great guy, love him to death. But um, but Marshawn Lynch, kind of towards the end of his career, he was kind of he he didn't really gain a lot of maybe not gain, but he played physical. He had this physical style. He wasn't elusive. He was elusive in the sense of he would break tackles, but he wasn't elusive in the sense of, sorry for hitting my desk, he wasn't elusive in the sense of agility. He didn't make a guy miss in the traditional sense, in the sense of, like, I'm going to juke you out of your jock strap. It's like, no, I'm going to run through you. I'm going to break tackles. And that's kind of what Zeke is. He's the type of dude that's going to run through you and not really around you. He's the dude that's going to freaking just truck you and that's what he is and that's what he can be for you and because of that it's like well you know you got to get on him or else he's gonna freaking break a tackle and get up to the second level against your linebackers and he is going to freaking destroy you so again um Zeke's not gonna get you any any big yards it's gonna be Dak maybe you should run the foot maybe you should run the football less give the ball to Dak give the ball to Dak on first down Give him a bunch of easy completions, you know, start warming up your offense, get the defense, you know, kind of just a little, maybe not a little bit the defense, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? What's the phrase? Like, get the defense off balance by both giving, giving them different looks via the run and the pass. Like, don't just be like, we're going to run the football. It's like, no, give them different looks. Exactly how you just gave them... Like, like essentially, the fourth quarter is how I think they'll call the game against Seattle, where they're going to set up the uh, set up the pass with play action on the deep balls. And they're going to gash him with a bunch of short yardage situations. Jamal Adams sucks in coverage. And um, they're going to fool him with those weird looks. And, I mean, it's it's New England 101. You give them the, the looks that look like they're going to run. You give them, like, different looks. Like um, that run that they just gave uh, Atlanta, and it's the fake punt dumbass call where it's fourth and five, and they run it straight up the middle on fourth and five instead of literally doing any other play. They're like, fourth and five, we, we got to run it, instead of like, come on, God help you, Jesus Christ. 
I know why they did it, because they were like, well, Chris Godwin had missed an easy catch, you know, on another special teams play. But, oh my god, was that dumb. That fake punt was so dumb. It was so bad. I was like, well, they lost. <laughs> I was like, that fake punt. And I was like, and I was watching this game, and I was like, you probably would want to go for it here on fourth down. And I felt like they were going to have another fake punt, because I was like, this is kind of one of those situations that you would want to have a fake punt on. Play calling sucked. It was god-awful. All right. Power rate is done. Let me continue forward. So, notice the um the two teams that gave away their uh, their star players, Texans and the the um the Vikings. Right? Let me just r- remind myself. What's the what's the Texans record? Oh. 0 and 2 their bottom of their division. What's what's the Vikings record again? What's the Vikings record again? What's the Vikings record? I, I can't remember. Oh. Owen to bottom of their division. Huh. Huh. In, in, interesting. That's, 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 that's very interesting. It's funny how, and by the way, um, the Vikings, they have the same amount of wins as the Detroit Lions. <clears throat> Absolute dumbser fires. As, um, as organizations. I said it before, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big guy in trading away a great wide receiver unless he's an at like like Stefan Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins were not cancers in the locker room. Let's just be honest about it. They weren't. They were good players who um certain powerful people within the organization did not like. In the Texans case it was Bill O'Brien. He's like I'm so mad at DeAndre Hopkins that I will literally trade him away for nothing and claim that my team will be better because of it. And the reason why JJ Watt is so frustrated is that a team that is literally tanking the Jacksonville Jaguars has more wins than they used the Texans. And now what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to hope that teams in their division start to lose a lot of football games and that they start to win a lot of football games. But, oh, wait, because you were on a first-place schedule last season, check out your schedule this season. And you play up against the AFC North. N- not the AFC North. The NFC North this season. You're go- oh, 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 yeah, and you play up against the AFC North as well. Check this out. Check out the Houston schedule. You got the Steelers, the Vikings, the Jaguars, and then the Titans. You could lose all of those games, maybe besides the Jaguars. Then you got Green Bay, Jags, not Texans, Browns, and then Patriots. And then you got Lions, Colts, Bears, Colts, Bengals, Titans. I don't know if you can hear that creaking. That is my microphone stand. You got a lot of hard hard-ass games to play. They're spread out. I mean, you're going to have to play up against the Colts twice. You're going to have to play up against the Packers. You're going to have to go up against the Patriots. You're going to have to go up against a lot of hard teams. But they are spread out. You can still win them. But you got to start winning games right now. And it's going to have to start up against the Steelers and then go on against the Vikings and then the Jags and then the Titans. Got to start winning football games here, the Houston Texans. Got to start winning these football games if you want to go to the playoffs. And I find it interesting 
um, certain people, they said that De- uh, Deshaun Watson will have a better will be a better quarterback because he won't tunnel vision on his wide receivers. And it's like, it's funny how, you know, not, not his wide receivers, excuse me, his wide receiver and DeAndre Hopkins. And it's funny how, like, you know, people said that. People were like, you know, he's going to be great. He's going to have the ability to focus on a bunch of his other receivers. And it's like, well, you know, who are his other receivers? Because do you want to know what happened today? Do you want to know what happened today? Tuesday, September 22nd, I think, 2020. Do you want to know what happened? The Houston Texans signed free agent Stephen Smith, former Cowboy, Speedster, and Dwayne Harris. Both wide receivers. Both former Cowboy wide receivers, by the way. Huh. It's like you would think with Randall Cobb, Kenny Stills, Kendall Fuller. Not Kendall Fuller. um, Will Fuller, Randall Cobb. You'd think that they would have enough guys, right? Remember how the Houston Texans, I remember um, before, what game did they lose this weekend? They lost against the Ravens. I remember how apparently it was reported that they had wanted to run the football a lot. They were they were a running football team. They want to run that football. I remember somebody said that, right? It's like, huh. Isn't it interesting that they were like, we want to run the football, man. We're going to run the football. We're going to play... We're going to give the ball to David Johnson. We're not going to give it to the uh, the $40 million quarterback. We're not going to give it to all of the wide receivers that we spent a lot of money in in free agency. And it's like, at some point, you got to admit, you know what? We probably need to start throwing the football. Huh. As I crack my knuckles. It's like, at some point, you're going to have to start exposing to Deshaun Watson to some danger. They are 0 and 2. They are bottom of their division, ladies and gentlemen. Bottom of their division. Where's that gumption that everybody was talking about where, you know, they were like, uh, you know, uh, 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 what's his name? Bill O'Brien. He's won every single division for the last six years. He's won like four of six or five of six. He's been phenomenal at winning his division because his division has sucked for the last five to six years, ladies and gentlemen. He's played in the AFC South. Titans, Jags, and Colts were nothing for like the last four to five years. Nothing. And now the Texans are nothing. And I hate to say that because Deshaun Watson, that's my guy. That's my guy. I don't like to see Deshaun Watson lose. He's gone up against pretty much the two hardest teams in the AFC. But I mean, what momentum has he gathered in the last two weeks. Nothing. He hasn't won. He's gotten smoked. It hasn't looked good at all. They haven't looked good at all. And then you look at what happened up against the Ravens. I mean, it was absolute destruction. What do they do? Not a damn thing. What can they do is, I think, a better question. Steelers, Vikings, Jags, Titans, Packers, Jags, Browns, Patriots. Next eight weeks. Good luck. Get them off. Get them up. Get them out. And then you got the Vikings. You got the Vikings. Oh, and two in their last two games. 
Bears and Packers are undefeated. Let me check out the Bears' schedule. The Bears' schedule, I mean, my goodness, they got the Falcons on Sunday. They got the Colts. Then they got the Bucks, Panthers, Bears, not Bears, Rams, and then Saints. Their schedule is kind of hard, but they can kind of manage. We'll see what happens to the Bears. The Packers, they've been on absolute fire. They're going to go up against the Saints on Monday night football, or is it Sunday night? I think it's Sunday night football. Yeah, it's Sunday night football this weekend. Then they go up against the Falcons. Apparently, everybody's going up against the Falcons this year. Excuse me. That was me burping. It was like one of those wet burps. It wasn't a dry burp. They go up against the Falcons, then the Bucks, then the Texans, then the Vikings, then the 49ers, then the Jags, then the Colts. Their schedule is hard, but they, I mean, they were playing fantastic. They scored 40 points in every single football game. Don't expect that to happen every single football game, especially because they went up against the Lions and the, and the Vikings. But still... They've had a fantastic start to their season. And you look at the Vikings and you watch some of those games. Let me pull up. I didn't see I didn't see all of the games that the Vikings played up against. When do I do I do I do I have a when is the first Sunday night Vikings game? In like three weeks. Like three weeks. You know, it's funny. Let me pull up. The box score. How many touchdowns? He had two touchdowns, Kirk Cousins. Two touchdowns, one interception, 19 for 25. They scored 34 points, but 24 were them. 24 of them were in garbage time, i.e. in the fourth quarter. Then against the Colts, they had, they scored 11 points. The final score was 28 to 11, but eight of their 11 points was scored in the uh, the fourth quarter garbage time, i.e. But you know, everybody was like, get rid of Stephon Diggs, he's problematic. Everybody forgot. Everybody forgot, and it's funny how quickly people's memories like deteriorate. It's funny how, how that works, right? Everybody forgets. It's like, wait a second, like it didn't Stephon Diggs catch the uh the most important catch in that playoff game against the Saints? The 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 play uh the the, the game not the game but the play that everybody uh, calls the the Minnesota miracle. It's funny how things change, isn't it? Right? Star player for you. The guy wanted to win. The guy also wanted the ball. You were like, yeah, let's give it to Dalvin Cook. He's our guy, right? And you're like, you know what? It's not our quarterback. It's not his fault. It's not his fault that he has 2,000-yard wide receivers, the best wide receiving duo in the NFL for years. It's not his fault, right, that we suck in the passing game when we don't run play action and we can't run the football well. You saw what happened when Dak Prescott... When he couldn't freaking just run the football every single time and run play action on every single game. He had to deep he had to drop back and throw bombs. That's what he had to do. You're seeing it with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers isn't running play action. He's having a freaking he's out he's he's in an empty he's in an empty set right now. He's in an empty backfield. Saying, hey, I gotta I'm not Aaron Bleeping Rodgers. I gotta make play. That's what Aaron Rodgers is saying. That's what Dak Prescott's saying. Elite level quarterbacks all day long. That's what they have to do. Gotta make plays. Not just off of play action. Who did the Vikings go up against the Colts? The Colts said, you know what? 
We shut down Dalvin Cook. Ball game, ladies and gentlemen. There is no... There, there is nothing that they have that makes us scared. If we shut down Dalvin Cook, we win. And the whole concept of hiring Gary Kubiak as the offensive coordinator is to freaking hide your quarterback. I'm watching their red zone plays. They are all run plays. That's what they are. They're run plays. Their red zone plays are run plays. And it's the exact same criticism of, of the Dallas Cowboys. I said, hey, Gary Kubiak's offensive scheme is is that of like Dallas's in the sense of they want to run the football a lot, but the issue is is that it's stuck in the Stone Ages. And I love Gary Kubiak as an offensive coordinator, and I think there's a time and place for that. But considering that your quarterback, this wouldn't have happened. Kevin Stefanski would have probably been, well, technically he got upgraded. He's the head coach now. But still, like Kevin Stefanski, his whole issue was he wants to pass the football. And they were like, no, like we, we have Dalvin Cook. We got to run it. And Mike Zimmer is a defensive coordinator or defensive coach, excuse me. So he's like, run it. Don't throw it. Run it. We don't care about how much money we spend on our quarterback. We got to throw this dog. We got to win games. And that's with our run game. But the issue is, is that once a team shuts down your run game, guess what? Your passing game suffers because everything is run off of play action. So now, you're getting a taste, just a taste, of what Kirk Cousins can and cannot do. And of course, this is without his star wide receiver and Stefan Diggs. He's lost. And you know what? As a Cowboy fan, I saw this from a mile away. Like, I mean, Dak only has one game that he's lost to Kirk Cousins, and that was that horrible Vikings game where the coaches didn't let Dak play. They didn't let him play. They were like, hey, Dak, we're just going to. We're just going to freaking get in your way all the time. We're going to have Zeke run the football a couple times. We're not going to help you out. We're going to help ourselves out by being like, hey, we paid Zeke a lot of money. We're not going to do right by the Cowboys and by the fans, and we're just going to lose this football game. That's what we're going to do. But now I'm watching Dak. I'm watching him. This is a beautiful ball by Dak. Seven minutes, 27 seconds left in the, in the fourth quarter. It's third and fourth, 24 to 39. Dak Prescott has to score 16 points within the next seven minutes. Dak, deep drop back. Pressure comes. He slides to his left. He throws open Blake Bell, who catches it and just runs out of bounds. The third string tight end, ladies and gentlemen. My point with DeAndre Hopkins and Dalvin Cook, not DeAndre Hopkins and Dalvin Cook, DeAndre Hopkins and Stephon Diggs, is that if, I, I would get it if it was T.O. and he was problematic in the locker room and he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, conducive to a good culture and he was a cancer and he dragged on your team and he couldn't help you win and he, like, and all that good stuff. I get that. I get it. But that wasn't Stephon Diggs. That wasn't. DeAndre Hopkins, that was egos at play, quarterbacks, coaches that thought that they were better and more important 
than the individuals. They thought that they were higher than the collective. The collective being the benefit of the team. The team, both teams, the Vikings and the Texans benefited significantly from DeAndre Hopkins and Stephon Diggs. And when you took them away, it's problematic because both of those players were your two most important players on offense. Besides, obviously, Deshaun Watson. You can make you and I and when they extended Kirk Cousins for three years and they gave him thirty five million, I was like, you guys just overpaid for Kirk Cousins. And now they're stuck for him for like three years. And now, do you want to know what just happened? Because not only Stephon Diggs is out, but Xavier Rhodes. I get why you released him. He was aging and he was not very good. And but you also got rid of Everson Griffin and he was one of your best defensive players and a leader on that football team. And do you want to know what happens now? Daniel Hunter is now out. And now you don't have any ability to make any big plays. Adam Thielen is a route runner. He can gash you, but he needs, he's a good number. He's a great number two. And he's a good number one. And I love Adam Thielen. But when they shut down your run game, they shut down your passing game. I mean, I'm watching a screenplay right now for Justin Jefferson and they destroy him because they're like, 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 what are you going to do? You're not going to throw it on the football field. We know you're not going to run down the football field. This is the 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 um the result of not of not having self-awareness and thinking that you're better than two of the best players at their positions. Like Stefan Diggs, I could argue that he's a top 10 dude in the league. DeAndre Hopkins is a top 5 wide receiver in the league. They were like, eh, we don't need him. We'll get Randall Cobb and, um, and Brandon Cooks and Kenny Sills and Will Fuller, and then we'll sign, when that stuff doesn't work, Dwayne Harris and Devin Smith. Mm-hmm. Where are the Vikings and the Texans going up against this week? I, I got to take a, take a gander here. Who are they up against this week? Texans are up against the Steelers. That could be a loss. The Vikings... Let me check out the Vikings record. Or not the record, the schedule here. Vikings are up against the Titans. That could potentially be a loss for them as well. Interesting predicament. Let's see who's uh, who's the worst team. Like, one of these teams is going to get a win in the next couple of weeks because both of them play on October 4th. So one of these teams will get a win. I just don't know who. I don't like either team. I don't like either team and either predicament. And I love the Texans. I love players on the Texans. I don't love the Texans predicament. I said as soon as that game was over with. I said it. I said as soon as that AFC divisional game against the Chiefs was over with. I said get Bill O'Brien out of Texas. Get him up and get his ass out. Because he is horrible. He is terrible. He cannot, and I will repeat, he cannot lead your team to a Super Bowl considering that that's the best he's got. That game that he could have won against the um, the Chiefs, he lost it, and the reason why he lost it was because he's like, because he wanted to be Bill O'Brien, not Bill O'Brien, Mike McCarthy. 
weirdly enough. Like, he wanted a bunch of fake punts and all that stuff, and I was like, wow, like, that's what you want to do? Jesus Christ, man. I couldn't believe that stupidity. But yes, that's what he did. Or at least wanted to do. He's like, let me just freaking, freaking, um, <clears throat> freaking, what, uh, freaking, like, just frick, have fake punts and bad special teams. That, like, it's literally like what happened with the, with the Cowboys. Holy smokes. Anything else I got? Oh, yeah. Completely forgot. My made men. These are my hit men, ladies and gentlemen. These are guys that you should be aware of every single week. I'm trying to figure it out what it is. I'm trying to change it up. I, I constantly forgot about it. I'm like, I'm trying to like identify what it is. But these are my hit, hit men. These are my guys that are sent out every single week to destroy the NFL. It's ironic that I say that because uh, Mafia... Mafia, the definitive edition, is coming out on Friday. I've already got my copy of it pre-ordered on my PS4. It's supposed to download. I don't know when it's supposed to download. I think I can pre-download it Thursday, and then it comes active Friday. I think that's how it goes. I'm not sure. What's going on in the NBA? Oh, God, the Lakers aren't going to win this one. 87 and 99. Anyways, here are my made men, right? And I got two new entries, two new guys, and we'll end off of made men. My made guys, right? Two more guys entered the fold this weekend. They absolutely went out and murdered it, killed it. They were absolute assassins in their own respects, even though they lost. I still welcomed them, welcomed them into the fold, into the fraternity of quarterbacks. They're absolute hitmen. Hitmen. I welcomed them into 24's family. My familia. Let's start off with the guys that are already made men. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, Daniel Jones, and Kyler I welcomed in last week. These two guys that I'm going to welcome in this week, they almost made it in last week. They made it in this week. Cam Newton, Gardner Minshew, welcome to 24's family. Welcome to my hitman. Welcome to my group of assassins. The reason why Cam Newton is here is pretty obvious. He's had a fantastic start of the season. He looks fantastic. I love how Cam Newton plays. I love how he plays. Um, especially, I love his, his pocket presence. I love his throwing mechanics. I love his decision making. I talk about it all the time. As a quarterback, you got to make smart decisions. And every single decision that Cam Newton has made is a smart decision. I think he only had one interception this season, and that was the uh, the game against uh, the Steel, not the Steelers, the Seattle Seahawks. One interception, I'll take it. He almost won it. He was fantastic in that football game. But I really, really liked what I saw from Miami, and I know a lot of people talked about how it was Miami, and it, it and it doesn't matter. But it's like he played fantastic. He made the throws that he needs to make, and he won that football game. And it was a lot. It wasn't as close as you, as the scoreboard reflected. It was way, way out of hand. 
in favor of Cam and the Patriots. Same thing goes with Seattle. They almost won it. They're up against the Raiders. I think that they're going to smoke the Raiders this weekend. Cam was taking shots down the field. He was making accurate passes to Julian Edelman. Julian Edelman looked like Julian Edelman of old. He was even giving passes to Nikhil Harry. They probably need somebody else. If they can get Odell, they should probably get Odell. But they were fantastic this this weekend. I love Cam. He's part of my made men. Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew. You know, I'm going to give Gardner Minshew a lot of credit for a dude that is missing his starting running back, that is missing key players on defense, that has a trash-ass organization, and I think, I don't know if Doug Marone is a defensive or offensive head coach, I can't really tell, but considering all of that, Gardner Minshew is 1-1, one and, one, and he has more games won than the Houston Texans, which is very impressive. And he has been fantastic all season long. And I looked at that game against the, um, who did he beat last week? I think he beat the Colts last week. I watched that game. Absolutely clutch. Absolutely clutch by Gardner Minshew and the, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Fantastic job by him. Only losing to the Tennessee Titans by three points. Titans are loaded, by the way. The Jacksonville Jaguars literally traded away all of their best players. I mean, I keep talking about it, but it's like, I just, I have no idea. I have no idea how Gardner Minshew has won so many, has has become, has almost won some of these games. And check out his schedule. Check out his schedule. Dolphins, Bengals, Texans, Lions, Chargers, Texans again, Packers, Steelers, Browns, Vikings, Titans, Ravens, Bears, Colts. He's got some hard games in November and December, but in the next four weeks, I mean, two and two, three and one is not like out of his range of possibility, considering like he's supposed to lose a lot of football games this season and probably early and often. He may go two and two, three and one in the next couple of weeks. I would not be surprised about that at all. Welcome to the fold. Welcome to the fraternity. Gardner, Gardner Minshew, excuse me. The players that almost made it, Joe Burrow, obviously. I've been super high on Joe since his first game. I watched that first game or the highlights for it, and I was like, man, he was close. He was really close. Considering that he was against the Chargers with Melvin Ingram and uh, Joey Bosa and how good they are on defense and how loaded they are on offense, it's like, I don't don't know how he almost beat them. And then he almost did it again against the the Browns. Maybe not almost, but I mean, he he, he was competitive against the Browns. Like, I, I love me some Joe football, some Joey football. Baker Mayfield. I've been low on him. He burned me last year. He's he, 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 I, I thought the Browns were loaded, and they were, and they didn't go to the playoffs, and I was pissed off, and Baker didn't have the rapport that he should have had with Odell Beckham Jr. last year, but he hasn't now this year, apparently. He heard all the news. He couldn't go down 0-2 against the Bengals. 
But, I mean, next couple of weeks, Washington, Cowboys, Colts, Steelers, he could go 2-2, two 3-1 and two, three and one once again. Just like Gardner Minshew. We'll see. We'll revisit Joe uh, Baker Mayfield after the Steelers game because I feel like the love of competition won't really test him. Maybe besides the Cow- the Cowboys and the Steelers are going to be the real test. And we'll see about the Steelers. We'll see what he can do against the Steelers and the Cowboys in the next couple of weeks. Justin Herbert absolutely impressed me. I knew he was fantastic. I knew, like, literally, he was told minutes before kickoff that he was going to be the starting quarterback because Tyrod Taylor had chest pains and they and he and he couldn't breathe because uh, apparently they injected a needle into his chest and because of that he couldn't breathe smart decision to inject a needle into the chest of your quarterback I could have told you that that's not going to work out well but I mean, it's it's just, it's it is a fantastic day to be a young quarterback in the NFL from either Cleveland or Cincinnati. Sam Darnold, Carson Wentz, you're in trouble. Both because they have played like hot garbage in the last couple of weeks, and also because of. Uh, uh, they're not even close to making it onto my fraternity, into my made men. They're about to be freaking hit up. Not hit up, but hit for a lick, excuse me. Who are the Jets going up against in the next couple of weeks? I mean, they haven't even started going up against the Patriots. Holy smokes. Check this out. This isn't the hardest schedule, but I mean, it's the Jets. Colts, Broncos, Cardinals, Chargers. Bills, Chiefs, Patriots, Dolphins. Dolphins again. Raiders, Seahawks. Oh my God. Rams, Browns, Patriots. Oh my God. And then what what about the Eagles? Who do they have in the next couple of weeks? Bengals. Which I predicted, I'm now going to predict that the um, the Eagles are going to lose to the to the Bengals. And then they got the 49ers, the Steelers, the Ravens, Giants, and then Cowboys. Eagles are also in trouble. Let me give you my, um, my Thursday night game day pick because I'm not going to be back on Wednesday. I'm going to be back on Thursday. <clears throat> By the way, I'm also going to be releasing a podcast tomorrow. I don't know what it is, but I'm pretty sure I have one on the back on the back end. But for Thursday night football, I got the Dolphins versus the Jags. I'm going to pick the Jags. I'm going to pick my guy, one of my made men, Gardner Minshew, to win against the Dolphins. I think Byron Jones is also going to be out, and I like his uh, his offensive weapons. I think they got two guys in the draft, right, that I actually liked. Who did they get again? <clears throat> um, 
Oh, they got C.J. Henderson and they got Caleb on Chasen. Hmm, I like that. They got LaVisca Shin a lot. Did they get anybody else? And they also got Colin Johnson out of Texas. I don't mind that. And the fifth round? Yeah. All right. I don't know if um, LaVisca Shinalot and Calvin Johnson are factors. I'm pretty sure they are because of how, like, how many points they've scored. Let me just take a look at their box score here. Let me just make sure I'm not tripping. <clears throat> Just want to be uh, as accurate as I possibly can here. Uh, we'll open this. We'll open this. What I'm checking is, I'm checking how many... Okay, oh my god. Seriously? Gardner Minshew against the Colts was 19 of 20 for 173 yards and three touchdowns. He had four sacks, but he had a 142 pass rating. Keelan Cole, LaVisca Shenelot, Colin Johnson had one reception for 14 yards, but it was Keelan Cole, LaVisca Shenelot, and DJ Chark with receptions against the, uh, the Colts with the win. What about against the Titans? What happened here? Oh my god, he was 30 for 30 for 45 for three touchdowns. He had two interceptions. His passer rating was 92.7, but I'll take I'll take that considering how bad his team sucks. Eh. They scored 13 points. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love what he did in the fourth quarter. 13 points, lost on a field goal by Tennessee, Steven Guskowski. DJ Chark Hold on. You know what I like about what Gardner, what I'm looking at with uh, with, with his stat line, Gardner Minshew's stat line? It's a lot of like 84, 58, 48, 40, 36, 35, 20, and 18. It's a lot of yards spread out throughout the entire team. I like it a lot. Obviously, I want like him to have more receptions when uh, with some of his targets. But, I mean, DJ Chark, for example, had four targets, four receptions, 84 yards. Got to love that a lot. I'm very excited to see one of my guys on Thursday Night Football against Miami where I think that Miami is going to seriously struggle against his passing attack and with his distrib- uh, dis- uh, distribution excuse me, of the football. But I can not wait. <clears throat> Let's watch one of the final drives of the Dallas Cowboys. Didn't get to cast this at all. Dak Prescott play action. It's by the way. Oh, it's the Michael Gallup but but uh <laughs> butt catch. Where he catches it in inbounds. I remember Jeff Cavanaugh was talking about it. He's like, check the cheek. Check the cheek. <laughs> he was in. You got to check that cheek, official. Dan Quinn wanted to challenge it. You go ahead and challenge it. His cheeks were in. <laughs> His cheeks were in, Dan Quinn. 
Dak Prescott at this point, 33 of 43. Absolutely balling out here. <clears throat> the podcast is over. I'm just going to watch the rest of this game and I'm going to cast it because I didn't freaking cast it yesterday. First and go at the five after the butt cheek catch. Dak Prescott in the shotgun. Pitch played to Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott has the edge. He trucks one of those linebackers just like Marshawn Lynch did in his heyday. Gets up. It's going to be second and goal now. Two minute warning. Bang. It's one of those, it's a pitch option, it's an option pitch play where Dak can either take it himself or he can give it to Zeke. And he gives it to Zeke because he's like, I don't want to run to a linebacker. <clears throat> All right. Hold on. All right. So. Wait. All right. Here we go. We're back after like a bajillion advertisements. I was like, when are we going to get this? Here we go. Second and goal at the one. Dak Prescott in the shotgun. He's going to look for the fade for Michael Gallup. Pass interference on Oliver It's going to be, I think, first down after that, right? Bang. I mean, Dak needs to throw it way more to the back pylon. Actually, he hits Michael Gallup on his right shoulder. Never mind. That was a perfectly thrown ball. I'm like, like, wait, he, he freaking hit him in his right shoulder. Never mind. That's exactly where you want the football. First and goal now, like, and it's inches to the freaking, you know, to the end zone. Oh, this is the Michael Gallup play where they try to give it to Michael Gallup. It's play action, and it's too low for Michael Gallup, but it also hits him right in his hands. Like, it's like one of the only drops that you'll see Michael Gallup have where it's like, wow, like, he actually could have kind of caught that football. Bang. And it's in slow motion, and he just, ah, it just gets through his hands. But if he catches it, it's a touchdown. But now they're just going jumbo, and they're just going to run the quarterback sneak with Dak Prescott. Touchdown, Dallas Cowboys. Touchdown, Dak Prescott. And remember what I was talking about with dudes dapping up Dak and stuff like that? Everybody's touching Dak. Everybody's tired, though, but it's not not like they're freaking being like, whoa, we won. We won. It's like you you still got to get the onside kick. I really wish I had recorded. You know, I was watching the game and I was like, I, re- I stopped podcasting and I had this inkling. I was like, maybe I should turn back my, my recording just in case. And I mean, it was, I kid you not. If you go back to that draft, um, uh, this year's draft, and when I reacted to freaking CeeDee Lamb getting picked up, it's literally like that. Where it's like I was screaming and I was like gyrating and I was like, oh my God. I couldn't, be- I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. You've probably seen it like a bajillion times. But yeah, it's 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 too... It, it, they get it. They get the onside kick. Dallas gets it. Fantastic job by John Fossil and the Dallas Cowboys. As they constantly show it. I mean, I, I would 
many times do you think they've shown it on TV today? Way too many fucking times. So it's going to be first and 10 at the 46-yard line of the Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott in the shotgun. Bang, they snap it to him. He looks. He fires. It's incomplete for Michael Gallup. I mean, I don't know where Dak was looking. I think it was supposed to be some type of a fade. But it's just miscommunication. Hold on. Let me listen to it. Because the crowd, I mean, Dak even said, like, the crowd has never sounded louder than it than, um, than they did in this game. Or the only time that they've sounded louder was in his rookie season in that playoff game against Green Bay. Bang. Yep. I'm actually surprised at how many people were still in the stands. Like, you would you would have expected, like, a lot of people would have cleared out, but nobody did. Everybody stayed where they should have belonged, and that's right there in that goddamn, in those chairs, those socially distant chairs. <laughs> Almost socially distant chairs. I don't know. That sounded like I said cheers. <clears throat> Second and ten now, 46-yard line of the Cowboys. Dak, bang, they snap it to him. Dak, he's going to step up. He looks, he fires. It's caught C.D. Lamb inside the 35, 30-yard line of the Falcons. Hey, uh, 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 Dallas needs to be aggressive down here. Dallas needs to make it a a 40, a 36-yard field goal, man, instead of making it a 36-one or 46-one where they can easily hit it regardless because they have Greg the Leg Zerline. There's a difference in Greg Zerline and Brad Maher. Dallas is going to run it with Zeke. Zeke Strong shrugs off one tackle, gains you two yards. They're winding the clock down. I mean, we know how it ends. We know how it ends. We know how it ends, ladies and gentlemen. We know who wins. We know who loses, ladies and gentlemen. your big day incredible job i know we had our differences but today i just want to tell you congratulations ladies and gentlemen this has been 24's podcast the best video gaming and sports podcast on the entire internet if you like this podcast you can subscribe to this podcast on spotify apple podcast google podcast breaker overcast pocket cast and radio public pretty much where you can find any podcast you can find my podcast 24's podcast congratulations to all of the people that uh that said that Dak Prescott isn't a franchise quarterback and um and isn't a isn't a 35 million dollar quarterback and isn't a 40 million dollar quarterback and isn't a 30 million dollar quarterback congratulations to all those people because they have done something that uh, is very rarely done. They have been consistently wrong for the last four years about evaluating a quarterback. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be back home Thursday to cast the Jaguars versus the Miami Dolphins game. I'm not necessarily very excited for it because it's not going to be very fireworky, very poppy, considering that the last two games were uh, Burrow versus Minshew and um, uh, Deshaun versus Mahomes. It's not necess- It's going to be the worst one out of the last three. But, I mean, it's still going to be an interesting game. Ladies and gentlemen, until then, I hope you have a fantastic day. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.